This recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemasjid.org. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Allahumma salli wa sallim wa barik ala nabiyyina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Amma ba'd. So this is the fifth day of Ramadan of the year 1441 after the Hijrah of our Prophet and we inshallah ta'ala are going to commence today with the fifth juz where we stopped yesterday which was Surah An-Nisa verse 29 so we did slightly over a juz yesterday and the reason we're doing slightly over is inshallah to get ahead a juz as we would do for example if we were praying Taraweeh just in case we have 29 days in this Ramadan from um, what I understand yesterday the live stream cut off uh, probably with about an hour to go and that was because there was a general internet outage in the whole area um, and so something beyond our control but then that uh, one hour that was missing was uploaded onto YouTube later on so it is there inshallah ta'ala if you go back and you watch that you'll, you'll pick up I think we had the last page of Surah Al-Iran and then five or six pages of Surah Al-Nisa it's about an hour that was missed from the live stream which brings me to um, an important point, and that is that uh, the, the, the scholars have a concept called felt. And felt means when you're studying a book like this, or a book of hadith, for example, there are times where you will miss a section for reasons. Sometimes you're late in attending, sometimes you uh, may be ill, sometimes uh, something else may come up. And so there are sections of the book or sections of what you are studying that you miss. It is called felt. And the way that the scholars used to deal with that is that they would make a note of it <coughs> and then they would ensure that they go back and they listen to what they missed. And that is important because if you were to finish Tafsir al-Jalalim and you were to do every lesson with us except for that one hour that was missed yesterday for no fault of your own or ours but it's just the hour that you missed then you would feel, number one, a sense of it being incomplete because you missed an hour and number two, even in the way that you speak about it, it is incorrect to say that I studied Tafsir Jalalain or read all of Tafsir Jalalain when you missed an hour of that reading. And the scholars were very precise of the past, rahimahumullah, when they used to come to conveying knowledge, they would be precise, even if they missed a hadith or a page. They would mention that because it is from the trust that is placed upon our shoulders when we teach and spread this knowledge. Imam Yahya al-Laythi, the scholar who I spoke about a couple of days ago, who traveled to Imam Malik rahimahullah from Andalus. When he narrates his muwatta from Imam Malik, there is a portion of his muwatta that Yahya al-Laythi missed out. Or he was unsure that he heard it. <coughs> and it is, <coughs> it is only a dozen or so hadith at the end of the chapter of I'tikaf. But Yahya al-Laythi narrates those hadith from another student of Imam Malik to Imam Malik. And that is a description or a, an example of the extent to which the scholars would go to to ensure that they had a complete narration. Or if they studied a book, that they studied it completely. Or if for some reason they cannot, to write down and to make sure that people know and understand that they missed that page or those pages or those ahadith or those verses of the Qur'an as is in our case. That's something which is part of our tradition. And again, one of the benefits of studying like this is that not only that you take the knowledge, but that you take the methodology that with which that knowledge is spread as well. And the scholars of the past used to go to those levels of 
writing this down and making note of it because it is part of the Amanatul Ilmiyyah. And one of the calamities of our time is that we, our aspiration when it comes to this type of knowledge has become very low. Knowledge for us is very short and concise. Anything more than 15, 20, 30 minutes an hour is very difficult to bear. But this is how knowledge used to be sought and this is how knowledge is still sought for those people who wish to seek it. The, an, an example of that, what is mentioned in that regard, is the example of the famous scholar Abdul Awwal Ibn Isa al-Sijzi, rahimahullahu ta'ala, who lived in the 6th century of Islam. And today, most of the riwayat, most of the isnads of Sahih al-Bukhari, for the people who read Bukhari today, you can get a salad that takes you back to Imam al-Bukhari, and then obviously by extension to the Prophet ﷺ, just as we have isnads in Qur'an from today back to the Prophet ﷺ, you have the same in the books of Hadith. Most of those narrations of Sahih al-Bukhari go through this scholar, Abdul Awwal ibn Isa al-Sijzi rahimahullahu ta'ala. And Imam al-Dhahabi, when he speaks about this amazing scholar, he says in his Sira Alam al-Nubala, Shaykh al-Islam wa Musnid al-Afaq, he praises him because of how much the people who come after him would be dependent. For example, Ibn Hajar, rahimahullah, his chain of narration that takes him back to Imam Bukhari is through this scholar, Abdul Awwal ibn Isa Sijzi, rahimahullah. This scholar says concerning himself that when I was seven years old, my father would make me walk a very long distance so that I could go and study hadith and he would walk with me. And he would make me carry two stones on either hand. He's only seven years old. Two stones in either hand and he would make him walk. And he would make him walk like this because he wanted him to understand the weight of the books that he would carry as he grew up and started to study hadith. And as the scholars say, مَنْ حَمَلَ الْكِتَابِ حَمَلَهُ الْكِتَابِ Whoever can carry the book, the book will carry him. So he would get him used to this. So he would walk... And then he says, when I would become tired, my father would see that I'm slowing down, I'm becoming tired. He would say to me, throw one of the rocks away. So he could hold the other one in both hands. And then he would make him walk like this. Until again, he would become so tired that he's lagging behind. Then he would say to him, okay, throw the other one away. And then he would just make him walk. And as he's walking this great distance, people would be traveling by on their carts and their wagons and on their horses and donkeys and so on. And they would say, let us take the child for you. We'll carry him and we'll take him to the destination, feeling sorry for him. He would say, no. By Allah, the one who learns hadith in this way will understand its status and he will learn and appreciate what he is studying. He would make him walk until the child couldn't walk anymore, seven years old, and he finds it too difficult now even to walk. And then his father would pick him up and he would carry him on his shoulders until he took him to his scholars and his teachers. And it is because of that determination and because of that time and effort in learning the method of seeking knowledge and in being precise in the way that it is dealt and, and sought, that he became one of the greatest scholars of his time and many of the scholars who came after him, they are dependent upon his narrations of these books of hadith. And so therefore it is important. I know that it's an hour and it's already long and it's difficult and you missed that time out and now shaitan is saying it's an hour and it's only an hour. But it is important that you don't miss out those few pages of the Quran but you take out that time and that you listen to inshallah ta'ala what was missed from yesterday. Uh, the question that I asked yesterday was concerning the name of the Prophet Ya'qub that he sometimes in the Quran is referred to as Ya'qub and sometimes as Israel as we mentioned yesterday in Surah Ali Imran. And the reason for that Allah knows best is the name Ya'qub linguistically comes from Aqib, which means a successor or to follow on. And so in the Quran when Allah speaks about the Prophet Ya'qub in the context of his family, 
with his father, his uncle, his grandfather, the prophets of Allah, he is known as Ya'qub. Am kuntum shuhada'a id hadara Ya'qub al-mawtu id qala libani. Qalu na'budu ilaha and so on. So when it's mentioned in the context of family, his father, his grandfather, his uncle, the Prophet Ibrahim, Ismail, Ishaq, alayhi salatu wassalam, Allah often refers to him as Ya'qub. And when it is a, an oath that Allah is referring to, or a pact or a covenant that Allah took with him, or with the people who came after him from his followers, then Allah uses the word Israel. And Israel is a is a word that is comprises of two words. Isr means pact or covenant, and il is the word of God in the language that they used to speak. So it means the pact of God or the covenant made with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why Bani Israel is referred to Bani Israel because of the covenants that Allah took upon them and the oaths that Allah Azza wa took from them and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. So inshallah ta'ala today we are as we said in Surah Nisa verse number 29. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين اللهم اغفر لي شيخنا ولوالدينا ولجميع المسلمين أما بعد قد قال المصنف رحمه الله تعالى في تفسير قوله تعالى بعد أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم يا أيها الذين آمنوا لا تأكلوا أموالكم بينكم بالباطل you who believe do not consume one another's property by false means. In other words, in a way that is haram, in the sharia, such as usury and misappropriation. But only by means of goods exchanged, exchanged in mutually agreed trade. And do not kill yourselves. Meaning, by committing what will lead you to your destruction in this world or the next. إِنَّ اللَّهَ كَانَ بِكُمْ رَحِيمًا Allah is most merciful to you, forbidding you to do that. This verse from the points that he speaks about is the command of Allah Azza wa Jal not to kill yourself. That if a person despairs from life or the situation is so grave and so difficult, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forbids us from taking our own life. And it's mentioned in the hadith in Al-Bukhari al-Muslim of Abu Huraira radiyallahu anhu. That the Prophet said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, whomsoever kills themselves by stabbing themselves, then Allah Azza wa Jalla on the Day of Judgment will make them continuously stab themselves in the fire of hell. And whosoever dies by consuming poison, then Allah will punish them, punish them in the fire and they will continuously, continuously take that poison. And whosoever kills themselves by falling off a mountain or throwing themselves off a high place, then Allah Azza wa Jalla will continuously uh, punish them in that way in the fire of hell as well. And that's why the Prophet told us وسلم, that instead what a person should say if they feel that life is unbearable to that extent that they make the dua of oh Allah if you know that life is better for me then give me life. And if you know that death is better for me then give me death. And to ascribe always these things to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to his knowledge is the path and is the way of the Muslim. وَمَنْ يَفْعَلْ ذَلِكَ عُدْوَانًا وَظُلْمًا فَسَوْفَ نُصْلِيهِ نَارًا As for anyone who does that, meaning the prohibited transactions referred to above, in enmity, purposefully transgressing the lawful, and wrongdoing out of injustice, we will roast him in a fire, which we will make him enter so that he burns in it. وَكَانَ ذَلِكَ عَلَى اللَّهِ يَسِيرًا That is an easy matter for Allah. 
إن تجتنبوا كبائر ما تنهون عنه نكفر عنكم سيئاتكم نكفر عنكم سيئاتكم وندخلكم مدخلا كريما If you avoid the serious wrong actions you have been forbidden to do those which are reported with a threat such as killing fornication and theft and Ibn Abbas said they are closer to 700 we will erase your bad actions meaning minor wrong actions from you through your obedience and admit read as madkhalan or mudkhalan meaning the action of admit, admitting you or the place to which you are admitted which is paradise you by a gate of honor this verse allah azza wa jalla is saying that if you stay away from the major sins then allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will forgive the remainder the remainder of your minor sins and that is from allah azza wa jalla's mercy and from allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's forgiveness for his for his servants stay away from the major sins and through your actions and your good deeds and your dua and your istighfar, Allah Azza wa will forgive what is remaining. The issue of major sins that he mentions here of Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma, the narration that he mentions, and the definition of it is one over which the scholars have a, a very lengthy discussion. How do we define a major sin and differentiate it from a minor sin? How many major sins are there? There is a great difference of opinion. This narration of Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma is mentioned in the Mustadrak of Al-Hakim. That he said that they are closer. He aqrabu ila He said they are closer to seven hundred. And the best of definitions that is given for this, and there are many that are given, is that a major sin is one that has upon it a threat of punishment, either Allah's wrath or His curse or the punishment of the fire or a penal penalty in Islam. These are the major sins in Islam, and this was the position. This is the definition of Ibn Abbas. Radiallahu anhum and the one chosen by the scholars like Al-Qurtubi and Ibn Taymiyyah and Al-Dhahabi rahimahumullah and they differ widely over how many of these major sins there are Imam Al-Dhahabi in his famous book Al-Kaba'ir the major sins numbers them at 70 and as we said Ibn Abbas says 700 and there are opinions that vary in between them as well and Allah knows best وَلَا تَتَمَنَّوْ مَا فَضَّلَ اللَّهُ بِهِ بَعْضَكُمْ عَلَى بَعْضِ Do not covet what Allah has given to some of you in preference to others in, in either this world or the deen so as not to allow that to lead to mutual envy and hatred لِلْرِجَالِ نَصِيبٌ مِّمَّا اكْتَسَبُوا Men have a portion of what they acquire by jihad and other things وَلِلْنِسَاءِ نَصِيبٌ مِّمَّا اكْتَسَبُوا and women have a portion of what they acquire as a reward for obeying their husbands and guarding their private parts. This was revealed when Umm Salama said, We wish we had been men so we could perform jihad and have a reward like that of men. But ask Allah for His bounty which you need. Allah has knowledge of everything, including where to bestow bounty and what you ask for. And this narration of Umm Salama is an authentic narration in Tirmidhi. And she said to the Prophet ﷺ, men fight and we don't fight. And sometimes they get more in inheritance than we do. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed this verse, وَلَا تَتَمَنَّوْ مَا فَضَّلَ اللَّهُ بِهِ بَعْضَكُمْ عَلَىٰ بَعْضٍ Do not covet or wish for or hope for that which Allah Azza wa Jal has given to some of you over and above others. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does so with great wisdom and knowledge as we know, جَلَّ فِي عُلَامٍ and that's why in our religion, generally speaking, in terms of Islamic deeds, the men and women are equal. But men have certain responsibilities that women do not have and vice versa. 
and there are plenty of ahadith in our sharia that honor and exalt the status for example of the mother and the reward of the wife and so on and so forth and these are because Allah Azza wa Jal is generous and bountiful in his reward but to want to acquire what Allah Azza wa Jal has made specific for men so for example to say a woman should lead the salat in jama'ah in congregation when there are men present or give the khutbah al-jumu'ah and so on and so forth that is from what Allah Azza wa Jal has made specific to the men and so that is from the religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we submit to وَلِكُلِّنْ جَعَلْنَا مَوَالِيَ مِمَّا تَرَكَ الْوَالِدَانِ وَالْأَقْرَبُونَ We have appointed heirs for everything that parents and relatives leave. Asaba, a paternal kin, and they inherit what is left over of the estate. وَالَّذِينَ عَقَدَتْ أَيْمَانُكُمْ فَآتُوهُمْ نَصِيبَهُمْ If you have a bond, renders عَقَدَتْ and عَقَدَتْ with people, give them their share. A bond refers to an alliance formed with people in pre-Islamic times for health and inheritance. Their share is a sixth. إِنَّ اللَّهَ كَانَ عَلَىٰ كُلِّ شَيْءٍ شَهِيدًا Allah is witness of everything. He is aware of you and your states. This ruling was abrogated by Allah's later words about inheritance. And we mentioned this yesterday that Allah Azza wa Jal later abrogated these general verses of inheritance with the verses that we mentioned at the beginning of Surah An-Nisa and the one that will come at the very end of Surah An-Nisa and other verses that speak about the specific shares of inheritance. And what Imam Siyuti rahimahullah is saying here in verse number 33 of Surah An-Nisa, the Asaba. In inheritance you have Fara'id and Asab. And Fara'id are those people that have fixed shares in the Sharia. And Asaba are those male relatives generally who take whatever remains after the fixed shares have been distributed. And that is how Asaba and, and that is how inheritance works in Islam. And that's why I said yesterday that at times a male relative can receive nothing. And a female relative can receive much more because of the way that the shares work out. And so the women, generally speaking, always have a fixed share and the spouse and the parents, they have their fixed shares. And then there are other people who take what remains. And those are people that are called Asaba. And Asaba is normally the paternal side of the family. And Asab means your spine, your backbone. And the Arabs used to call the male relatives or the paternal relatives, they are Asaba because in times of war, they are the ones who they would rely upon to come and strengthen them and support them. And so they are called Asaba. الرِّجَالُ قَوَّمُونَ عَلَى النِّسَاءِ بِمَا فَضَّلَ اللَّهُ بَعْضَهُمْ عَلَى بَعْضٍ وَبِمَا أَنْفَقُوا مِنْ أَمْوَالِهِمْ Men have charge of women by teaching and taking charge because Allah has preferred the one above the other in terms of knowledge, intelligence and custody and because they, meaning men, spend their wealth on them, meaning women, in maintenance. فَالصَّالِحَاتُ قَانِتَاتٌ حَافِظَاتٌ لِلْغَيْبِ بِمَا حَفِظَ اللَّهُ Right-acting women are obedient, meaning to their husbands, safeguarding their husbands' interests and their private parts in their absence as Allah has guarded them through their husbands when they are there. وَاللَّاتِ تَخَافُونَ نُشُوزَهُنَّ فَعِضُوهُنَّ وَهْجُرُوهُنَّ فِي الْمَضَاجِعِ وَاضْرِبُوهُنَّ If there are women who di- whose disobedience you fear, you may admonish them and make them fear Allah. Refuse to sleep with them and go to another bed and then beat them, but not hard if the other courses of action do not work. But if they obey you, do not look for a way to punish them, meaning beating them unjustly. Allah is all high, most great. Beware lest Allah punish you for behaving unjustly towards them. 
وَإِنْ خِفْتُمْ شِقَاقَ بَيْنِهِمَا فَبَعَثُوا حَكَمًا مِّنْ أَهْلِهِ وَحَكَمًا مِّنْ أَهْلِهَا If you fear or know of a breach between a couple, send with their consent, send with their consent an arbiter who is fair from his people, meaning his relatives, an arbiter from her people. The husband delegates to his arbiter authority to carry out the divorce or to accept compensation, and the wife delegates to her arbiter authority to carry out hul. The arbiters argue out and command the one in the wrong to desist, or else they disagree. Allah says, If the two of them, meaning the arbiters, desire to put things right, Allah will bring about a reconciliation between them, meaning the couple. In other words, enable them to obey by putting things right or separating. Allah is all-knowing, all-aware of the inward and outward of people. This verse, verse number 35, is from the etiquette or from the uh, methods by which a person can try to resolve the differences that they have between their spouse, between themselves and their spouse, husband and wife, and that is that they appoint two people that are called in Arabic hakam, an arbiter from the male side and from the female side, from the husband's and the wife's sides respectively. And they meet and they are given authority on behalf of the husband and wife to do what they think is in their best interest. And these are people who are mature and wise and knowledgeable. And they are people who come together with the best interest of their couples at, uh, in their hearts. And that's why the, um, the, the part of the verse, If the two of them, the arbiters, is the commentary of a Sufi, desire to put things right. Other scholars said, if the two of them, meaning the husband and the wife, desire to put things right. And both are correct meanings. Because the husband and wife have to be sincere in their attempts to do what is good and pleasing to Allah. And the ones arbitrating on their behalf have to also have that sincerity of intention. And the scholars differ as to what authority these people have. Ibn Abdul Ta'ala mentions that the scholars agree that if the two of them cannot agree, the two arbitrators, they can't agree as Asiyuti comments here, then they, they go back and nothing is decided. They, you know, they say we can't agree on an approach and therefore that arbitration is none. Or they agree that both of them should reconcile. They should reconciliate and continue to live together and obviously they put stipulations in and they deal with what is appropriate. That too is allowed. But if they say, for example, they should divorce, the two of them should split up and they should divorce, that is where the scholars differ. Do they have that right to tell them to divorce? Or is that something which goes back to them to decide? Do they have that authority? The scholars differed over this point alone concerning them. And the majority said that they have that right as well, as seems to be the position of Asiyuti rahimahullah. وَاعْبُدُوا اللَّهَ وَلَا تُشْرِكُوا بِهِ شَيْئًا Worship Allah and affirm His oneness and do not attribute partners to Him. وَبِالْوَالِدَيْنِ إِحْسَانًا وَبِذِي الْقُرْبَى وَالْيَتَامَى وَالْمَسَاكِينِ وَالْجَارِ ذِي الْقُرْبَى وَالْجَارِ الْجُنُبِ وَالصَّاحِبِ بِالْجَنْبِ وَبْنِ السَّبِيلِ وَمَا مَلَكَتْ أَيْمَانُكُمْ Be good and dutiful and gentle to your parents and relatives and to orphans and the very poor. And to neighbors who are related to you or close to you, and neighbors who are not related to you or are far from you, and to companions, friends on a journey or at work or a wife, and travelers and your slaves. Allah does not love anyone vain or boastful to others about what they have been given. In this verse, when Allah says, And to neighbors who are related to you, and neighbors who are not related to you, those close to you, those far from you. This was 
the opinion of Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhumah, his commentary on Ikrimah and Mujahid and Qatada alayhim rahmatullah. الَّذِينَ يَبْخَلُونَ وَيَأْمُرُونَ النَّاسَ بِالْبُخْلِ As for those who are stingy in respect of what they are obliged to give and command other people to be stingy. وَيَكْتُمُونَ مَا آتَاهُمُ اللَّهُ مِنْ فَضْلِهِ And hide the bounty Allah has given them, meaning of knowledge and wealth, meaning the Jews. وَأَعْتَدْنَا لِلْكَافِرِينَ عَذَابًا مُهِينًا We have prepared a humiliating punishment for those who disbelieve. It is a strong threat against them. وَالَّذِينَ يُنْفِقُونَ أَمْوَالَهُمْ رِئَاءَ النَّاسِ وَلَا يُؤْمِنُونَ بِاللَّهِ وَلَا بِالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ And also for those who spend their wealth to show off to people, not believing in Allah in the last day, such as the hypocrites and the people of Mecca. وَمَنْ يَكُنِ الشَّيْطَانُ لَهُ قَرِينًا فَسَاءَ قَرِينًا Anyone who has shaytan as his comrade and acts by his command like these people, what an evil comrade he is. وَمَاذَا عَلَيْهِمْ لَوْ آمَنُوا بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ وَأَنْفَقُوا مِمَّا رَزَقَهُمُ اللَّهِ What harm would it have done to them to believe in Allah on the last day and give of what Allah has provided for them? The question implies a negative answer, meaning that there would of course be no harm. وَكَانَ اللَّهُ بِهِمْ عَلِيمًا Allah knows everything about them and will repay them for what they do. إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَظْلِمُ مِثْقَالَ ذَرَّةٍ Allah does not wrong anyone by so much as the weight of the smallest mote, meaning the smallest ant. Meaning that their good actions will not be decreased in the slightest or their evil actions increased. And if there is a good deed, even the size of a mote done by a believer, Allah will multiply it. Read as يضاعفها and يضاعفها Between ten and 700 times and as well as that will pay out an immense reward directly from him which no one can calculate and this hadith is an amazing hadith inna allaha la this verse rather is an amazing verse verse number 40 inna allaha la yadlimu mithqala dharra Allah will not oppress anyone in even the smallest of weight and a dharra is a seed or an atom's weight the smallest possible measurement that you can have Allah Azza wa Jal doesn't wrong anyone, oppress anyone in even the slightest of ways. But from the grace of Allah Azza wa Jal and His bounty is that He multiplies people's goodness and He multiplies their good deeds and He increases them manifold. And so when the people come on the day of judgment, they will have no excuse before Allah Azza wa Jal that Allah oppressed them, that Allah was uh, treated them harshly, that they were hard done by, because that is the exact uh, justice of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. فَكَيْفَ إِذَا جِئْنَا مِنْ كُلِّ أُمَّةٍ بِشَهِيدٍ وَجِئْنَا بِكَ عَلَى هَؤُلَاءِ شَهِيدًا How will it be when we bring a witness from every nation and bring you, Muhammad wasallam, as a witness against them? What will the state of the unbelievers be when we bring a prophet from the community who will testify against them? And this is mentioned in the hadith of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu in Bukhari and Muslim that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said to him one day, Wa Abdullah, read the Qur'an to me. And he replied and he said, O Messenger of Allah, aqra'u wa alayka unzid. Should I read to you when the Qur'an was revealed to you? And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, I love to hear its recitation, which shows and is a proof that to hear the recitation of the Qur'an at home, outside, the Imam reciting in the masjid is one of the ways that we have this relationship with the Qur'an and that we connect with the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I love to hear its recitation. 
So Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu anhu began from reciting from the beginning of Surah An-Nisa. And when he reached this verse, verse 41, the Prophet said to him, Hasbuk, enough. And Abdullah bin Mas'ud, as well as the position or the general etiquette of the major companions, when they would sit before the Prophet, they would lower their gaze, they would look down, and they wouldn't stare at him out of respect for him. When the Prophet said, Enough, he looked up and he saw tears coming from the eyes of the Prophet. And this is a hadith which, and, and, and it was this verse that he was reciting. And this is a hadith which the scholars show that the Prophet used to contemplate the Quran. He would listen to it and he would reflect on it and he would contemplate over it because this is a verse that is addressing the Prophet ﷺ. What will your situation be? When from every single ummah, every nation that has come, a witness will be drawn out. And you, meaning the Prophet ﷺ, will be a witness over them. And that is the responsibility that he will bear and the station that Allah will elevate him to on Yomul Qiyamah. يومئذ يود الذين كفروا وعصوا الرسول لو تسوى بهم الأرض. On that day when it arrives, those who disbelieved and disobeyed the messenger, صلى الله عليه وسلم, will wish that they were only that they were one with the level earth. They will wish that they were dust like the earth because of the terrible terror, as we read in another ayah. And the unbeliever will say, Oh, if only I were dust. ولا يكتمون الله حديثا. They will not be able to hide any occurrence from Allah. Then they will not be able to conceal anything they did even though they may have done so from others when they first did it. These are the people who will do, do wrong and come on the day of judgment. And from the irony of the situation of these people is that these are people who in this world wanted to live forever. They wanted eternity. But when Allah will grant them that eternity they will see that that is an eternity that they did not wish for and that they did not want. Because they know that there is an eternity of punishment and evil. And so they will say, وَيَقُولُ الْكَافِرُ يَا لَيْتَنِي كُنْتُ تُرَابًا And the disbeliever will say, If only I would be turned to dust. They will wish upon themselves destruction on a day that Allah will not grant them such death or destruction, but they will have that eternity of punishment. May Allah save us from that. يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا لَا تَقْرَبُوا الصَّلَاةَ وَأَنْتُمْ سُكَارَى حَتَّى تَعْلَمُوا مَا تَقُولُونَ O you who believe, do not approach the prayer. In other words, do not pray when you are drunk, so that you know what you are saying, until you are sober. The reason this ayah was revealed was that some people would join the group prayer while drunk. وَلَا جُنُبًا إِلَّا عَابِرِي سَبِيلٍ حَتَّى تَغْتَسِلُوا or in a state of major impurity due to sexual intercourse or ejaculation, unless you are traveling on a journey until you have washed yourselves completely, then you can pray. An exception is made for travelers because they have a different ruling, which will be mentioned. It is also said that what is meant is entering places of worship, such as mosques, in that state, except while traveling or passing through without saying, without staying. وَإِن كُنتُم مَرْضَاءً عَلَى سَفَرٍ أَوْ جَاءَ أَحَدٌ مِنْكُمْ مِنَ الْغَائِطِ أَوْ لَمَسْتُمُ النِّسَاءَ If you are ill in such a way that using water will be harmful to you or on a journey and you are in Janaba or have broken wudu or any of you have come from the lavatory or touched read as لَمَسْتُمْ and لَمَسْتُمْ and or touched women and both words mean touching with the hand as Ibn Umar said and the Shafi'i believes and that extends to the rest of the skin Ibn Abbas says that it means sexual intercourse فَلَمْ تَجِدُوا مَا أَن 
فتيمموا صعيدا طيبا فامسحوا بوجوهكم وأيديكم And you cannot find any water with which to purify yourself for the prayer after having looked for it and searched thoroughly except in the case of the person who is ill. Then do tayammum with pure earth when the time for prayer has arrived wiping your faces and your hands to the elbows. إِنَّ اللَّهَ كَانَ عَفُوًا غَفُورًا Allah is ever pardoning, ever forgiving. This verse Allah Azza wa Jal, we mentioned this before when we were speaking about the verse which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says they ask you concerning intoxicants and gambling. يَسْأَلُونَكَ عَلِ الْخَمْرِ وَالْمَيْسِرِ We said then that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forbade, prohibited intoxicants in a number of stages. The first of them was that verse that we already covered in which Allah says that there are some small benefits but the harm is greater. This is the second stage. Don't approach the prayer whilst, you're being, whilst you are in a state of being drunk. And so therefore, five times during the day and the night, they had to uh, stay away from drinking. And then Allah further on says, Unless you are traveling on a journey. Abili Sabil is the ruling that is being referred to here. Is that if a person is in a state of major ritual impurity, it is not allowed for them generally to come and sit in the masjid. They don't come in the masjid and they don't stay in the masjid. Except, as some scholars said, a person who's traveling on a journey. And because they're on a journey, they have to come in the masjid, especially in those days when there's no hotels and when there's no other restrooms and when there's no places for people to go and uh, wash and rest and so on, except a masjid. And the opinion of many of the scholars, though, is that what is being referred to here as Imam al-Tabari and Kathir and others chose, what it's referring to is to pass through the masjid, even if you are a resident. So it's not allowed to come and stay in the masjid or sit in the masjid or read Qur'an or anything else in the masjid. But if you're passing through, you need to come in to get something, you need to pass through for some reason. That is what Allah Azza wa Jal says is allowed. Further on, Allah Azza wa Jal in verse 43 says, or if you touch women, <coughs> meaning it's one of the things that breaks wudu. And the scholars, as you can see from the commentary of As-Siyuti rahimahullah ta'ala, have some difference of opinion as to what it means to touch. The literal meaning of lamps is to touch. But is that what it's referring to? If you touch your wife, for example, you touch a woman, then that breaks your wudu. The position that is the stronger position and the one chosen by At-Tabari and Ibn Kathir and Al-Qurtubi and many of the scholars of Islam is that what it's referring to and it's the position of Ibn Abbas and Ali and Ubay ibn Ka'b عنهم, is that it's referring to marital relations. That is what, what, what breaks a person's wudu or if a person uh, releases some fluid because of being aroused. That is what breaks wudu. And this is when we were speaking yesterday about the issue of metaphor in the Quran. This is an example of that. Metaphor outside of the names and attributes of Allah Azza wa Jal in things where we have another proof to show that it is being metaphorical. And the proof in this regard would be the sunnah of the Prophet that he would often kiss one of his wives before going out and leading the salah. And those are clear hadith that show that the Prophet would do more than touch one of his wives and he wouldn't break his wudu. And Allah knows best. Verse 44. أَلَمْ تَرَ إِلَى الَّذِينَ أُوتُوا نَصِيبًا مِنَ الْكِتَابِ يَشْتَعُونَ الضَّلَالَةَ وَيُرِيدُونَ أَن تَضِلُّ السَّبِيلِ Do you not see those who are given a portion of the book, meaning the Jews, trading in misguidance, 
exchanging guidance for it and wanting you to be misguided from the way so that you would be like them. Allah knows best who your enemies are. He informs you of them so that you can avoid them. Allah is enough for you as protector against them. Allah is enough as helper to defend you against their devices. Some of the Jews distort and change the true meaning, the true meaning of words which Allah revealed in the Torah about the description of the Prophet Saying to the Prophet when he commands them to do something, we hear what you say and disobey your order. And listen without listening. In other words, I have not heard. And they say to him, Ra'ina, an expression which they were forbidden to use to address him since it was a curse in their language. Twisting them with their tongues, disparaging and attacking the deen of Islam. If they had said, we hear and we obey instead of disobey, and only listen and unzurna instead of ra'ina, that would have been better for them than what they said and more upright and just. But Allah has cursed them and put them far from his mercy for their unbelief. Very few of them, such as Abdullah ibn Salam and his companions, are believers. يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ أُوتُوا الْكِتَابَ آمِنُوا بِمَا نَزَّلْنَا مُصَدِّقًا لِمَا مَعَكُمْ You who have been given the book, believe in what we have sent down, meaning the Qur'an, confirming what is with you, meaning the Torah. مِنْ قَبْلِ أَنْ نَطُمِسَ وُجُوهًا فَنَرُدَّهَا عَلَىٰ أَدْبَارِهَا أَوْ نَلْعَنَهُمْ كَمَا لَعَنَّا أَصْحَابَ السَّبْتِ before we obliterate faces, eyes, nose and eyebrows, turning them inside out and make the face like a blank sheet. Or we curse you by transforming you into monkeys as we curse the companions of the Sabbath by so transforming them. Allah's command is always carried out. When this was revealed, Abdullah ibn Salam became Muslim. It is said that it is a conditional threat and that when some of them became Muslim, that threat was removed. It is said that the obliteration and transmogrific, transmogrification it refers to will take place at the end of time. Allah does not forgive partners being attributed to him, but he forgives whomever he wills to, to be forgiven for anything, meaning wrong actions apart from that. So that he enters the garden without punishment and he will punish any of the believers he wishes for their sins and then admit them to the garden after that. Anyone who attributes partners to Allah has committed a terrible crime. This is the position as we know of Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah that anyone who believes in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and has Iman within their hearts then they will eventually go to Jannah. Either Allah Azza wa will admit them to paradise immediately, or Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may, uh, may punish them first for their sins if they have those sins that require punishment and Allah chooses to do so. But they will not abide in the fire forever. They will not stay in the fire forever in opposition to some of the groups of Islam, some of the sects that said that a person, for example, who commits a major sin will remain in the fire forever. The position of Ahlul Sunnah is no. 
anyone that has even the smallest amount of Iman, Allah will eventually free them from the fire and enter them into Jannah. And this is mentioned clearly in a number of hadith. From them is the hadith of Bukhari and Muslim. Abu Dhar when he says the hadith in which he looked for the he came out one night and he was walking and he saw the Prophet walking alone. And he spoke to him and he said, Oh Messenger of Allah, why are you here alone? And the Prophet continues in the hadith, but one of the things that he says is that whosoever believes or says La ilaha illallah and testifies to my messengership, then they will enter into Jannah. Alam tara ila ladina yuzakuna anfusahum. Do you not see those who claim to be purified? This refers to the Jews who says we are the sons of Allah and his loved ones, signifying that they do not need to be purified. No, Allah purifies whomever he wills through true belief. They will not be wronged by so much as the smallest smoke. They will not be wronged in any way at all. And this is a warning from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that it's not the position of a Muslim to claim that they have reached that state of high iman or that state of spirituality that they have purified themselves and their hearts. And Allah Azza wa is saying, do you not see those who purify themselves? It is Allah who determines who is pure, meaning of soul and heart. And this is similar to the verse in Surah Al-Najm, فَلَا تُزَكُّوا أَنفُسَكُمْ Don't purify or don't claim that you are pure yourselves. For Allah is more knowledgeable of those who have fear and piety of him. And therefore, it is the position always from the etiquettes, even when we praise people for their knowledge or for their ibadah or for the good that they do, that we say as the scholars used to say, and we don't make tazkiyah of them or we don't claim purity for them before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But this is what we see, what is apparent, and only Allah azza wa jal knows what remains in a person's heart. Look in amazement at how they invite, invent lies against Allah by doing that. That is enough as an outright and clear felony. The following was revealed about Kab ibn al-Ashraf and other Jewish scholars when they went to Mecca and were made aware of those killed at Badr. And they encouraged the idolaters to take revenge and fight the Prophet ألم تر إلى الذين أوتوا نصيبا من الكتاب يؤمنون بالجبت والطاغوت Do you not see those who are given a portion of the book believing in idols and false gods meaning the idols of Quraysh ويقولون للذين كفروا هؤلاء أهدى من الذين آمنوا سبيلا And saying of those who disbelieve referring to Abu Sufyan and his people when they said to them who is more guided us when we are the guardians of the house and give water to pilgrims hospitality to guests and ransom captives or Muhammad وسلم, who opposes the deen of his fathers and cuts himself off from his own kin these people meaning you are better guided and straighter on their path than the believers and this is authentically reported as a statement of Ibn Abbas in the Muslim of Imam Ahmed that Ka'b ibn al-Ashraf after one of the battles after Badr went to Mecca in order to uh, if you like, console them, motivate them, encourage them to regather, regroup, and try again to attack the Muslims. And when they saw Ka'b ibn Ashraf coming into Mecca, the chieftains and the noblemen of Mecca, they said that this is someone from Medina who is from the best of them and from the most noblest of them, referring to him, meaning not the Prophet in that regard. This is a man who we honor. And then 
Ka'b ibn Ashraf came and he spoke to them and he said, you are the people who are custodians of the Kaaba. You are the ones who are the custodians of Zamzam. You are the ones who feed the pilgrims. And he started to encourage and motivate them and praise them in that regard that you have and you are the ones and you are the ones and therefore you have more right and not this one, meaning the Prophet ﷺ who is in Medina, who curses your gods, who splits your families, who forsakes the path of your forefathers. And that's verse number 51. أُولَٰئِكَ الَّذِينَ لَعَنَهُمُ اللَّهِ Those are the ones Allah has cursed. وَمَنْ يَلْعَنِ اللَّهُ فَلَنْ تَجِدَ لَهُ نَصِيرًا And if someone is cursed by Allah, he will not find any help before him against the punishment of Allah when it comes. And the curse of Allah Azza wa Jal, his la'na, is to be removed from his mercy. And as we mentioned at the beginning of Surah Al-Fatiha, when we were speaking about those names of Allah Azza wa Jal, Allah's mercy extends over everything. So when Allah removes someone from his mercy and expels them from something which touches everything that is in existence, then that is one of the greatest threats of punishment that comes from Allah Azza wa Jal. May Allah keep us safe. Or do they indeed really own a portion of the kingdom? They possess none of the kingdom at all. فَإِذَا لَا يُؤْتُونَ النَّاسَ نَقِيرًا In that case, they do not give so much as a scrap to other people because of their extreme miserliness. A scrap, naqir, is something insignificant. The word means the spot on the back of a date stone and is used to designate the smallest of things. Meaning, do they own the kingdom of the heavens and the earth that they can apportion it as they please and give it to whomsoever they will and choose who receives what and how they receive it? That is the audacity that brings, that comes from disbelief and from arrogance and that type of pride that a person thinks that they should get to dictate and decide and not Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. أَمْ يَحْسُدُونَ النَّاسَ عَلَى مَا آتَاهُمُ اللَّهُ مِنْ فَضْلِهِ Or do they in fact envy other people, meaning the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, for the bounty Allah has granted them. This means prophethood and having many wives. Meaning that they wanted to remove prophethood from him and say if he was really a prophet, he would not be occupied with women. We gave the family of Ibrahim, such as Musa, Dawood and Sulaiman, the book and wisdom and prophethood, and we gave them an immense kingdom. Dawood had 99 wives and Sulaiman had 800. And so they were jealous of the Prophet ﷺ, that Allah gave him prophethood. And they wanted to, uh, or one of the things that they did in order to disparage him was to claim that he had too many wives, even though we know and they know that there were prophets who came before that had more wives. So they were using or looking for things that they could use to, to in ways, belittle the Prophet ﷺ. فَمِنْهُمْ مَنْ آمَنَ بِهِ وَمِنْهُمْ مَنْ صَدَّ عَنْهِ Some of them believe in him, meaning Muhammad wasallam, and some bar access to him, turning away and refusing to believe in him. وَكَفَى بِجَهَنَّمَ سَعِيرًا How will be enough as a searing blaze, the punishment for those who do not believe. إِنَّ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا بِآيَاتِنَا سَوْفَ نُسْلِيهِمْ نَارًا as for those who reject our signs, we will roast them in a fire and put them into it where they will burn. Every time their skins are burned off, we will replace them with new skins, making them revert to their unburned state 
so that they can taste the punishment and so that it will be an even severer for them. Inna Allah kana azizan hakima. Allah is almighty and has the power to do anything, all wise in his creation. And Allah in this verse describes the severity of his punishment. That the people of the fire, in the fire as they burn and as they roasted and as their skins, as their skin is melted from their, their bones and from their skeleton, Allah says that that is not the end of the punishment. For every time it takes place, it will be replaced with fresh skin so that they may continue to taste the torment and the punishment of the fire. And this is a general principle that is established in the verses of the Quran, the Sunnah of the Prophet that the people who are punished on Yawm Al-Qiyamah in certain ways, that punishment repeats itself over and over again. Whether it's like the one that we mentioned at the beginning of today's lesson for those people who, who kill themselves in a certain way, Allah punishes them in that way, or the punishments of the grave of certain people who spread rumors or doubting usury and so on, their punishment is repeated over and over again until Yawm Al-Qiyamah. That is a general principle that is established that Allah Azza wa Jal continues upon them that punishment over and over again for eternity. وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ سَنُدَخِلُهُمْ جَنَّاتٍ تَجْرِي مِنْ تَحْتِهَا الْأَنْهَارُ خَالِدِينَ فِيهَا أَبَدًا As for those who believe and do right actions, we will admit them into gardens with rivers flowing under them, remaining in them timelessly forever without end. لَهُمْ فِيهَا أَزْوَاجٌ مُطَهَّرَةٌ In them, they will have spouses of perfect purity, purified of menstruation and every other kind of impurity. وَنُدْخِلُهُمْ And we will admit them into cool, refreshing shade. The shade of the garden is constant and not changed by the sun. It lasts forever. إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَأْمُرُكُمْ أَن تُؤَدُّوا الْأَمَانَاتِ إِلَىٰ أَهْلِهَا Allah commands you to return to their owners the things you hold on trust, the rights which one has been entrusted with. This ayah was revealed when Ali seized the key of the Kaaba from Uthman ibn Talha, its keeper, when the Prophet ﷺ conquered Mecca at the conquest and he refused to give it to him. Uthman said, if I had recognized him as the Messenger of Allah ﷺ, I would not have refused to give it to him. The Messenger of Allah ﷺ ordered Ali to return it to him and said, that prerogative is yours forever. Uthman liked that and then the Prophet ﷺ recited this ayah to him and he became Muslim. When he died, he gave the key to his brother Sheba, and it remained with his descendants. Although there was a particular reason for the revelation of this ayah, its meaning is made general by the use of the plural. And this is mentioned in many of the books of, of Sirah. And there are different narrations that speak about this. One of them is that in the Meccan period, when the Prophet ﷺ wanted to enter into the Kaaba in order to pray, Uthman ibn Talha, who was the gate, the, the key holder of the Kaaba, the one who owns the or holds and is the custodian of the key that opens the door of the Kaaba, he refused to give it to him, even though it was the established practice amongst Quraysh that anyone from Quraysh could ask and request to go into the Kaaba and it would be given to them. For people outside of Quraysh, outside of Mecca, that's not the case. But for Quraysh, that is one of the honors that they are afforded from being part of that tribe and from the custodians of Mecca and the Kaaba. But he refused to give it to the Prophet ﷺ. And the Prophet ﷺ said to him in that narration, You give it to everyone. Why don't you give it to me? He said, Because you are not worthy. The Prophet ﷺ said to him, Perhaps a day will come when I will have the key in my hand and I will do it. I will do with it as I please. Uthman ibn Talha said to him, Then that will be a day of humiliation. And the Prophet ﷺ said, No, rather it will be a day of honor. And then another narration says, So when the Prophet ﷺ came and he conquered the city of Mecca, 
the key was taken from Uthman ibn Talha. And the narration, some of them say it was Ali radiallahu anhu, and some of them say that it, is, it was Abbas, al Abbas, the uncle of the Prophet radiallahu anhu. And Abbas said to the Prophet, O Messenger of Allah, give us the key alongside the watering of the pilgrims, meaning that we will have the greatest honors of the Kaaba. We have already watered the pilgrims, we already look after the Kaaba, that's our family's responsibility. Give us the key as well, and we have everything. The Prophet took the key and he gave it back to Uthman ibn Talha. And he said to him that it is yours and will remain with you. No one will remove it from you except an oppressor. And as Imam Suyuti rahimahullah states, from that time until even today, the key has remained within that family even today. In Mecca, it is the family, the descendants of this man and his family that continue to hold the key of the Kaaba. But whether this is the reason for the revelation of this verse, that is a questionable um, issue. And Allah Azza wa Jal knows best, and that's why Imam Suyuti says, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, even if that is the reason of the revelation, its meaning is more general, meaning that when you are entrusted and you have been given a trust by someone to look after, or you have a responsibility that you must, uh, you must give, it is your responsibility and your duty to perform, it is from our religion and from the things that Allah commands that we fulfill those trusts and those responsibilities. وَإِذَا حَكَمْتُمْ بَيْنَ النَّاسِ أَن تَحْكُمُوا بِالْعَدْلِ And when you judge between people, to judge with justice. He commands you to judge. إِنَّ اللَّهَ نِعِمَّا يَعِبُكُمْ بِهِ How excellent is what Allah exhorts you to do. Allah's command regarding handing over trust and judging with justice is excellent. إِنَّ اللَّهَ كَانَ سَمِيعًا بَصِيرًا Allah is all hearing of what is said, all seeing of what is done. يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا أَطِيعُوا اللَّهَ وَأَطِيعُوا الرَّسُولَ وَأُولِي الْأَمْرِ مِنْكُمْ You who believe, obey Allah and obey the Messenger and those in command among you. Meaning rulers, when they command you to obey Allah and His Messenger. صلى الله عليه وسلم فَإِن تَنَازَعْتُمْ فِي شَيْءٍ فَهُدُّوهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَالرَّسُولِ إِن كُنْتُمْ تُؤْمِنُونَ بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ if you have a dispute and disagree about something, refer it back to the Book of Allah and the Messenger himself, وسلم, while he was alive, and then to his Sunnah in order to search out the right answer, if you believe in Allah and the last day. That, meaning referring to the Book and Sunnah, is the best thing to do and has the best result. That is better than dispute and speaking from mere opinion. And that is a command from Allah to obey Allah, to obey the Prophet, to obey those that have been placed in charge of our affairs. And when there is that dispute or we disagree or there is something that we do not understand, the criterion and the reference and the source point that we go back to is the Book of Allah and the Sunnah of the Prophet In his lifetime, it is obviously the Prophet himself. After his death, it is the Sunnah. In the hadith in Al-Bukhari of Ali radiallahu anhu, he says that the Prophet wasallam just uh, to emphasize this point of turning back to the Qur'an and Sunnah with its correct understanding. Ali radiallahu anhu says in Al-Bukhari that the Prophet sent an expedition, sent a group of companions on an expedition, and he placed amongst them a leader, a general of that expedition. And that man or the companion that was placed over them, he wanted to test the obedience of his troops. So he said to them, he commanded them to light a fire. So they lit a fire. And then he commanded them to gather wood, and they gathered wood, and then he commanded them to do a number of things. And then, just to test them even more, he said, now, because I'm your leader and you must obey me, I command you to throw yourselves into the fire. 
or some of the narration says that he was joking with them. So some of the companions found that very difficult to bear. And so they came back and they told the Prophet ﷺ. And the Prophet said ﷺ, had they entered into the fire, they would have remained therein until the day of judgment. For indeed there is no obedience except in what is good and right. So Allah has placed people over us in positions of responsibility, our parents, for example, one of them. But if they command us to do what is haram and evil and wrong, there is no obedience to them. And Allah knows best. Verse 60. This ayah was revealed when a Jew and hypocrite quarreled and the hypocrite and the hypocrite called for Ka'ab ibn al-Ashraf to judge between them and the Jew called on the Prophet They came to him and he judged for the Jew. But the hypocrite was not satisfied. They went to Umar with the same question and the Jew mentioned the Prophet's judgment to him He asked the hypocrite, is that true? Yes, he replied. And so Umar killed him. أَلَمْ تَرَ إِلَى الَّذِينَ يَزْعُمُونَ أَنَّهُمْ آمَنُوا بِمَا أُنْزِلَ إِلَيْكَ وَمَا أُنْزِلَ مِنْ قَبْلِكَ يُرِيدُونَ يُرِيدُونَ أَنْ يَتَحَاكَمُوا إِلَى الطَّاغُوتِ وَقَدْ أُمِرُوا أَنْ يَكْفُرُوا بِهِ Do you not see those who claim that they believe in what has been sent down to you and what was sent down before you still desiring to turn to a satanic source for judgment? The great transgression, namely to Ka'ab ibn al-Ashraf, in spite of being ordered to reject it and not to follow it. وَيُرِيدُ الشَّيْطَانُ أَن يُضِلَّهُمْ ضَلَالًا بَعِيدًا Shaytan wants to misguide them far away from the truth. This uh, story of Umar radiallahu this verse is speaking about those people who, rather than turn to Allah Azza wa Jalla and the Prophet in order to settle their disputes and their affairs, they go to other than them. And if the Prophet judges, they are happy with his judgment and they go to find someone else. And that is what the story of Umar is, that they went to the Prophet to judge in something and he judged and they were not happy. So they were looking for someone else and they said to Umar, can you guide us or point us somewhere else so we can get a different judgment. And so the, and Umar killed that man because he rejected the Prophet and that is a form of kufr. This is a narration that is mentioned by Tha'labi in his tafsir and Allah knows best, but it seems to be a weak narration. And the authentic narration is in At-Tabarani, concerning the cause of revelation of this verse in At-Tabarani, that this verse was revealed concerning Abu Barzat al-Aslami, who before his Islam was a person who used to be a soothsayer and a fortune teller. And the Jews and other people of Medina used to come to him to settle their disputes, as was the norm in that period in Mecca and the other Arabs, what they would do if they needed some kind of guidance in these issues because there were no judges in their society and they didn't have that system. What they had instead was soothsayers and fortune tellers as we find even in the early life of the Prophet before he becomes a prophet when he's a child and they want to go and take him to the soothsayers and so on. That's something which was well known amongst the Arabs of that time. It is said that Abu Barzat al-Islami who later becomes a Muslim was amongst those people and so these people wanted to refer to him. So Allah Azza wa Jal reveals this verse, verse number 60. Do you not look at those people who claim that they believe in what you have and the revelation of their Lord, but instead they don't refer to it in their judgments and their rulings. They refer instead to those people who judge with what is false. وَإِذَا قِيلَ لَهُمْ تَعَالَوْا إِلَى مَا أَنزَلَ اللَّهُ وَإِلَى الرَّسُولِ When they are told, come to what Allah has sent down, meaning of the judgment of the Qur'an, and to the Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, to judge between you. رَأَيْتَ الْمُنَافِقِينَ يَصُدُّونَ عَنْكَ صُدُودًا You see the hypocrites turning away from you completely and turning to others. And that is a sign of hypocrisy, to not be happy and satisfied 
with what Allah has ordained and His Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam has legislated. فَكَيْفَ إِذَا أَصَابَتْهُمْ مُصِيبَةٌ بِمَا قَدَّمَتْ أَيْدِيهِمْ How will it be and what will they do when a disaster and punishment strikes them because of what they have done, meaning by way of disbelief and disobedience? Will they then be able to turn away and flee from it? No. ثُمَّ جَاءُوكَ يَحْلِفُونَ بِاللَّهِ إِنْ أَرَدْنَا إِلَّا إِحْسَانًا وَتَوْفِيقًا They turn away and then they come to you swearing by Allah by taking judgment to someone else. We desired nothing but good and reconciliation between two opponents by making the judgment easy rather than burdensome. Allah knows what is in such people's hearts of hypocrisy and lies in their excuses. So turn away from them and overlook and warn them and make them fear Allah and speak to them with words that have an effect on them. So as to make them revert from their unbelief. وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَا مِنْ رَسُولٍ إِلَّا لِيُطَاعَ بِإِذْنِ اللَّهِ We sent no messenger except to be obeyed in his commands and decrees by Allah's permission and his command. So he should not be disobeyed or opposed. وَلَوْ أَنَّهُمْ إِذْ ظَلَمُوا أَنفُسَهُمْ جَاءُوكَ فَاسْتَغْفَرُوا اللَّهَ وَاسْتَغْفَرَ لَهُمُ الرَّسُولُ لَوَجَدُوا اللَّهَ تَوَّابًا رَحِيمًا if only when they wronged themselves, meaning by going to a satanic source for judgment, they had come to you in repentance and asked Allah's forgiveness. And the Messenger وسلم, had asked forgiveness for them. They would have found Allah ever returning to them, most merciful towards them. And that is the benefit of turning to Allah in tawbah, in forgiveness, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgives and turning to other than Allah in what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone can, can decide upon is a type of disbelief. فَلَا وَرَبِّكَ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ حَتَّى يُحَكِّمُوكَ فِيمَا شَجَرَ بَيْنَهُمْ No, by your Lord, they are not believers until they make you their judge in their disputes that break out between them. ثُمَّ لَا يَجِدُوا فِي أَنفُسِهِمْ حَرَجًا مِمَّا قَضَيْتَ وَيُسَلِّمُوا تَسْلِيمًا And then find no resistance, nor any doubt or constriction within themselves to what you decide, but submit, but submit themselves completely and will obey your judgments without objection. Imam al-Bukhari rahimahullah ta'ala in verse 65 he mentions the reason for the revelation of this verse or a possible cause of revelation for this verse is the notion of Urwa ibn al-Zubayr rahimahullah ta'ala that he says that his father al-Zubayr ibn al-Awwam radiyallahu an had a dispute with another man from amongst the Ansar concerning water that would come through the garden of al-Zubayr radiyallahu an his farm and then it would go to the farm of this man of the Ansar and the man of the Ansar wasn't happy that Zubayr would take the water that he needed and then pass the water on to him. So they took their dispute to the Prophet So the Prophet said to Zubayr, take what you need in a reasonable measure and then give the rest, let it flow to the garden of your or the farm of your neighbor. The man replied, he said, O Messenger of Allah, are you saying this because he's your cousin? Because he's your cousin? Because the Zubair is the cousin of the Prophet ﷺ. His mother is Safiya, the aunt of the Prophet ﷺ. Is this because he's your cousin? The Prophet ﷺ said to Zubair, take all of the water that you need and then turn it back to its source. Meaning don't give him anything. And then Allah revealed this verse. Showing that Allah, what Allah is saying and it's not rebuking the Prophet ﷺ, but rebuking this man. That the Prophet ﷺ gave you a judgment and you wouldn't accept his judgment. And so it is part of 
our religion to submit to Allah completely means to accept what the Prophet has legislated and not to find within our hearts any difficulty in accepting that. ولو أن كتبنا عليهم أن قتلوا أنفسكم أو اخرجوا من دياركم ما فعلوه إلا قليل منهم. If we had prescribed for them to kill themselves or leave their homes as we as we had prescribed for the tribe of Israel, they would not have done so. Meaning what was prescribed for them except for a very few. ولو أنهم فعلوا ما يعظون به لكان خيرا لهم وأشد تثبيتا. But if they had done what they were urged to do, meaning obey the Messenger, وسلم, it would have been better for them and far more strengthening for their faith. In that case, if they had been firm, we would have paid them an immense reward from us, meaning the garden. And we would have guided them on a straight path. Imam Suyuti, for verse 68, gives no commentary. So the, the cause of revelation, some of the companions asked the Prophet ﷺ, how will we see you in the garden and so on? That is for the following verse, the commentary of the next verse. So Imam Suyuti doesn't give a commentary and as we said before, Imam Suyuti in some verses that are very clear and plain, he doesn't give a commentary. Verse 68, and we would have guided them to a straight path, it's very clear. So then the remainder of what you have there of the commentary is his commentary as to the cause of revelation for the next verse, verse 69. Some of the companions asked the Prophet ﷺ, how will we see you in the garden when you are in the high, de- high degrees and we are in the lower? Then the following ayah was revealed. Whoever obeys Allah and the Messenger وسلم, in what he commands will be with those whom Allah has blessed. The Prophets, the men of truth, who are the best companions of the Prophets because of their great truthfulness and sincerity. The martyrs killed in the way of Allah and the righteous, not in the above categories. What excellent company such people are. They are companions in the garden. Because in it they will enjoy seeing them and visiting them and being together with them. They abide in higher degrees than those who visit them there. This cause of revelation is an authentic narration collecting at Tabarani of Aisha. Radiallahu anha that she said that a man came to the Prophet and he said, O Messenger of Allah, there is no one more beloved to me than you. You are more beloved to me than even myself and my family and my children. And sometimes when I go home, I cannot bear to be away from you until I come and see you. And sometimes as it's night time and I sleep, I feel that I am not settled until the morning so that I can come and see you again. But O Messenger of Allah, when I die and when you die, then in Jannah you will be in the highest of ranks and levels. And I will not be or I will not attain those high ranks and levels. So where will I see you in Jannah? So Allah Azza wa Jal revealed this verse and it is an amazing verse that gives all of us hope. Those who obey Allah, those who follow the path of the Prophet wasallam, they will have by Allah's mercy and his permission the company of those Prophets and the Siddiqeen and the Shuhada and the Salihin and they are from those that Allah Azza wa has blessed their companionship. And this is the verse as I mentioned if you cast your mind back a few days ago to Surah Al-Fatiha that Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shawqiti rahimahullah ta'ala was referring to when he made the connection between Sirat al-Ladheena namta alayhim and fa'ulaika ma'al-Ladheena an'am allahu alayhim. 
That meaning being with those companions is favored from Allah, bestowed on them because of their obedience to Him. Allah is enough as a knower of the reward of the next world. So trust in what He tells you about it. None can, none can inform as well as someone who is fully aware. Ya You who believe, take all necessary precautions against the enemy, meaning beware of them and be always on the alert regarding them. Then go out to fight in separate groups, one after another, or go out together as one body. Among you are people who hang back, meaning from fighting, such as Abdullah ibn Ubay, the hypocrite, and his companions. فَإِنْ أَصَابَتْكُمْ مُصِيبَةٌ قَالَ قَدْ أَنْعَمَ اللَّهُ عَلَيَّ إِذْ لَمْ أَكُمْ مَعَهُمْ شَهِيدًا And if you encounter a setback, such as loss of life or defeat, they then say, Allah has blessed me in that I was not there with them and was not wounded. وَلَئِنْ أَصَابَكُمْ فَضْلٌ مِّنَ اللَّهِ لَيَقُولَنَّكَ أَلَّمْ تَكُمْ بَيْنَكُمْ وَبَيْنَهُ مَوَدَّةٌ يَا لَيْتَنِي كُنْتُ مَعَهُمْ يَا لَيْتَنِي كُنْتُ مَعَهُمْ فَأَفُوزَ فَوْزًا عَظِيمًا But if you encounter favor from Allah, such as a victory or beauty, they say in regret, as if, as if there were no friendship, read as takun and yakun, recognition and friendship between you and them, referring back to, Allah has blessed me. This is, this is an interjection. Oh, if only I had been with them, so that I too might have won a great victory and received a large share of booty. فَلْيُقَاتِلْ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ الَّذِينَ يَشْرُونَ الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا بِالْآخِرَةِ So let those who sell the life of this world for the next world fight in the way of Allah to make the deen of Allah victorious. وَمَنْ يُقَاتِلْ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ فَيُقْتَلْ أَوْ يَغْلِبَ فَسَوْفَ نُؤْتِيهِ أَجْرًا عَظِيمًا If someone fights in the way of Allah, whether he is killed and martyred or is victorious over the enemy, we will pay him an immense reward. Ayah 75 this is an example of a question which is in reality a rebuke, meaning there is nothing that could justifiably keep you from fighting. What reason could you have for not fighting in the way of Allah and for the sake of delivering those men, women and children who are oppressed and are kept by the unbelievers from emigrating? And Ibn Abbas said, I and my mother were among them. الذين يقولون ربنا أخرجنا من هذه القرية الظالم أهلها and say in supplication our Lord remove us from this city meaning Mecca whose inhabitants are wrongdoers meaning by their disbelief وجعل لنا من لدنك وليا وجعل لنا من لدنك نصيرا give us a protector from you to take care of us give us a helper from you to defend us against our oppressors Allah answered this supplication and made it easy for some of them to leave. The rest remained until Mecca was conquered. The Prophet ﷺ appointed Attab ibn Usaid to redress the injustices they had suffered. This verse, verse number 75, you have the statement here of Abdullah ibn Abbas Allah Azza wa Jalla is speaking about those people who were too weak to migrate from Mecca to Medina. They were unable to migrate and Allah Azza wa Jalla makes an exception for them that they were not to be how to account for their inability to migrate and to fight with the Prophet and this statement of Abdullah ibn Abbas that me and my mother were from amongst them is authentic, it is in Sahih al-Bukhari he said that I am from amongst these people because Abdullah ibn Abbas and his mother accepted Islam 
And it is said, and there's a difference of opinion as to the timing of the Islam of Al-Abbas, the uncle of the Prophet Sallallahu Abdullah ibn Abbas, who is his son and the mother of, uh, of his mother, the wife of Al-Abbas, radiyallahu anhu majma'een, accepted Islam before, but because their father had not yet migrated, they were held back in Mecca with him. And Ibn Abbas, radiyallahu anhu, was very young at that age. And give us help from you to defend us against our oppressors. In the hadith of Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu nasai the Prophet used to make dua openly for some of his companions that Allah Azza wa would help them and Allah would say and he would say, Oh Allah, say for example Al Walid ibn al Walid and Salama ibn Hisham and others from amongst his companions who were held back in Mecca and were unable to migrate with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam until Allah Azza wa answered their dua and Mecca was conquered. Those who believe fight in the way of Allah. Those who disbelieve fight in the way of false gods, meaning shaytan. So fight the friends of shaytan and be helpers of Allah's deen so that you can overcome them since your strength is by Allah. Shaitan's scheming against the believers is always feeble, weak in the face of Allah's scheming against the unbelievers. أَلَمْ تَرَ إِلَى الَّذِينَ قِيلَ لَهُمْ كُفُّوا أَيْدِيَكُمْ وَأَقِيمُوا الصَّلَاةَ وَآتُوا الزَّكَاةِ Do you not see those who are told, do you not see those who are told, hold back from fighting the disbelievers when a group of companions asked the Prophet ﷺ in Mecca to give them permission to injure the disbelievers, which was not granted, but establish the prayer and pay zakah. <coughs> فَلَمَّا كُتِبَ عَلَيْهِمُ الْقِتَانُ إِذَا فَرِيقٌ مِّنْهُمْ يَخْشَوْنَ النَّاسَ كَخَشْيَةِ اللَّهِ أَوْ أَشَدَّ خَشْيَةِ Then, when fighting is prescribed for them, a group of them fear people's punishment, that the unbelievers would kill them, as the punishment of Allah should be feared, or even more than that. وَقَالُوا رَبَّنَا لِمَا كَتَبْتَ عَلَيْنَا الْقِتَالِ They say, in fear of death, our Lord, why have you prescribed fighting for us? If only he would give us just a little more time. Say, meaning to them, the enjoyment of this world, referring to things enjoyed in it, or to the enjoyment itself, is very brief and soon vanishes. The next world, meaning the garden, is better for those who are God-fearing and fear the punishment of Allah abandoning disobedience. You will not be wronged by so much as the smallest mote. Where does tudlamun? You will not be wronged. And yudlamun? They will not be wronged. The reward for your actions will not be decreased in the least. So strive your hardest. Verse number 77, the beginning or, or the first portion of the verse. Do you not see those who are told hold back from fighting? Asiyyuti rahimahullah gives a cause of revelation. That it was about some of the companions of the Prophet in the Meccan period. That is authentically reported from Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma in Al-Nasa'in Al-Hakim. And he says that Abdul Rahman ibn Awf radiallahu anhu was one of the early Muslims and one of the very senior companions of the Prophet And a man who was a, had a position of honor and status in Mecca. And people like him from the early Muslims came to the Prophet And they said, O oh, Messenger of Allah, before Islam we were wealthy and we were honored. And we were people who had a position within our society. People used to respect us. But now that we're Muslims and we have the truth, now we're weak and we're humiliated and people don't work with us and people don't buy from us and so on. And so we have become lowly. So give us permission to fight. 
And the Prophet وسلم, said no. Right? And this was at the beginning of Islam and there are other hadith that speak about this in the Meccan period. How the Prophet وسلم, wouldn't allow people to fight because Allah had not yet given permission for that fighting. From them is the hadith also in Al-Bukhari of Khabbab ibn Al-Arat radiyallahu an. When the Prophet was leaning on the Kaaba and he comes to him and he says, O Messenger of Allah, Allah tab'u lana, Allah tastansir lana. O Messenger of Allah, will you not make dua for us? Will you not seek Allah's help for us? And the Prophet sits up and he says to him that indeed from those who came before you were those people who a hole would be dug in the ground and they would be buried in it and then a soul would be bought and they would be sawed in half and they wouldn't turn away from their religion. And from those who came before you, a person would come and a metal comb would be taken and their skin raked or their flesh raked from their bones. And that wouldn't take them back from their religion but you are a people who are hasty. And so this is what is referred to that narration of Ibn Abbas is authentic in Al-Nasai and Al-Hakim. أينما تكونوا يدرككم الموت ولو كنتم في بروج مشيدة. Wherever you are, death will catch up with you, even if you are in impregnable fortresses. So do not fear fighting for fear that you might be killed. وإن تصبهم حسنة يقولوا هذه من عند الله. If a good thing happens to them, meaning the Jews, such as a good harvest and wealth, they say this has come from Allah. وَإِن تُصِبْهُمْ سَيِّئَةٌ يَقُولُوا هَذِهِ مِنْ عِنْدِكَ If a bad thing happens to them, such as drought and poverty, which happened when the Prophet ﷺ came to Medina, they say, this has come from you. Meaning Muhammad ﷺ, because you bring bad luck. قُلْ كُلٌّ مِنْ عِنْدِ اللَّهِ Say, meaning to them, everything, both good and bad, comes from Allah. فَمَا لِهَاؤُلَاءِ الْقَوْمِ لَا يَكَادُونَ يَفْقَهُونَ حَدِيثًا What is the matter with these people? That they scarcely understand a single word. Why do these people almost not understand anything said to them? This question demonstrates, demonstrates astonishment at the excessive ignorance. مَا أَصَابَكَ مِنْ حَسَنَةٍ فَمِنَ اللَّهِ Any good thing that happens to you, O human being, comes from Allah as a favor to you. وَمَا أَصَابَكَ مِنْ سَيِّئَةٍ فَمِنْ نَفْسِكَ Any bad thing, meaning any affliction that happens to you, comes from yourself because of your wrong actions which have brought it on you. وَأَرْسَلْنَاكَ لِلنَّاسِ رَسُولًا We have sent you, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, to mankind as a messenger. As a messenger. وَكَفَى بِاللَّهِ شَهِيدًا Allah is enough as a witness to your message. مَنْ يُطِعَ الرَّسُولَ فَقَدْ أَطَاعَ اللَّهِ Whoever obeys the messenger has obeyed Allah. وَمَنْ تَوَلَّى فَمَا أَرْسَلْنَاكَ عَلَيْهِمْ حَفِيظًا If anyone turns away, meaning from obeying you, do not be concerned with him. We did not send you to them as their keeper, meaning over their actions. You are a warner. What happens to them is up to us and we will repay them. This applied before the command came to fight. Verse 81. When Allah's command comes to them, وَيَقُولُونَ طَاعَةٌ They, meaning the hypocrites, have the words obedience to you on their tongues. فَإِذَا بَرَزُوا مِنْ عِنْدِكَ بَيَّتَ طَائِفَةٌ مِّنْهُمْ غَيْرَ الَّذِي تَقُولُ But when they leave your presence, a group of them spend the night plotting to do something other than what you say. Or it could mean what they, meaning the group, say in your presence. وَاللَّهُ يَكْتُبُ مَا يُبَيِّتُونَ Allah is recording. Meaning commanding that it be recorded, the nocturnal plotting in their pages, so that they can be repaid. So let them be and excuse them and put your trust in Allah. 
Allah is enough as a guardian, so entrust your affairs to him. Will they not then reflect on the Qur'an and consider the wondrous meanings it contains? If it had been from someone other than Allah, they would have, they would have found many inconsistencies in it regarding its meanings and multifaceted order. Allah Azza wa commands us to reflect and ponder and contemplate over the Qur'an twice in the Qur'an. The first time is here and the second time will be in Surah Muhammad. And Allah Azza wa in the Qur'an commands us to reflect and contemplate because it is one of the greatest benefits of reading the Qur'an and studying it. And one of the greatest paths to contemplation of the Qur'an is by understanding and knowing its tafsir. When you have that background and you understand its meanings and what the scholars said concerning that verse, it is one of the greatest ways of reflecting upon the Qur'an. But it requires you to go back to the Qur'an at a different time when you have the time and the space to reflect over those meanings and take them in a more measured and calmer way so that inshallah ta'ala you can ponder over those meanings. وَإِذَا جَاءَهُمْ أَمْرٌ مِّنَ الْأَمْنِ أَوِ الْخَوْفِ أَذَاعُوا بِهِ when news of any matter about the expeditions of the Prophet ﷺ reaches them, they spread it about and make it known, whether it is of a reassuring, meaning a victory, or disquieting nature, meaning a defeat. This was revealed about a group of hypocrites or weak believers who used to blurt things out when they had them, to weaken the hearts of the believers and injure the Prophet if they had only referred it, meaning the news, to the Messenger وسلم, and those in command among them, those with influence among the great companions remaining silent until they had been told about it, those among them able to discern the truth about it, meaning the Messenger and those in command وسلم, would have had proper knowledge of it. If it were not for Allah's favor to you through Islam and His mercy through the Quran, all but a very few of you would have followed Shaytan in the foul actions he commands. This verse, verse number 83, how much we're in need of it. From the <coughs> things that Allah Azza wa rebukes about the hypocrites is that any time any news would come to them, they would spread it. True, not true, correct, incorrect, understood properly or not properly, they would just spread it far and wide. Just as in our time, this, you know, this whole notion of you spread everything or you forward every message that you get and you like every post, it's exactly the same thing. Something, sometimes those issues are untrue, they're lies, they're rumors, there's false news, and it's being spread far and wide. And a person gets it and they're told spread it or pass it on to as many people as you know and they do the same thing and that is how it spreads and that is what Allah Azza wa Jal is referring to. But Allah says, if only they turned it back to Allah and His Messenger, meaning they verified, they checked, they understood, they will know the truth of the matter. And from the hadith that is mentioned in this regard concerning this verse is the hadith of Umar radiallahu anhu, it's a long narration Sahih Muslim, concerning that time and period in which the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam made ilah, he stayed away from his wives and we mentioned this in Surah Al-Baqarah in the second juz that the Prophet ﷺ for about a month he stayed away from his wives Umar came to the masjid one day in Medina the masjid of the Prophet ﷺ and he heard the companions in commotion so he asked them what's wrong and they said to him the Prophet ﷺ has divorced all of his wives so it's a rumor something's going on they don't know and so it's spreading he's divorced all of his wives the Prophet ﷺ went 
to his own daughter's house, who is one of the wives, Hafsa, radiallahu anha, and asked her, and she said, I don't know, but the Muslims were aware of the situation, but I don't know if he's divorced us. The Prophet وسلم, went out, Umar radiallahu went out to seek the Prophet and found him in a garden. And he sought permission to enter because someone was being a gatekeeper for the Prophet. And that gatekeeper, that companion, was reluctant to go and tell the Prophet that Umar is here because the Prophet wants to be alone. Umar radiallahu raises his voice and he says, Give permission, O Messenger of Allah, for Umar to enter. For by Allah, if Hafsa, if you commanded me to take off the head of Hafsa, I would do so. The Prophet allowed him to come in. The Prophet is upset and he's angry. Umar comes in and he comes in with his own uh, you know, agenda. He wants to clarify the situation. He wants to understand what's going on. He wants clarity for his daughter and for the Muslims and what's going on. But when he comes, he sees that the Prophet is lying on the ground and he has no top robe on, so the ground has left its imprint on the shoulder and the, and, and the body of the Prophet and the house where the Prophet is staying or that place is sparse, there's hardly any possessions, there's nothing there so Umar sees this and he begins to cry instead, so the Prophet says to him, why are you crying O Umar? he says, O Messenger of Allah, you are the Messenger of Allah and you live like this, this is your situation whilst the Persians and the Romans Enjoy the delights of this world. The Prophet said to him, Are you not happy that it should be for them in this life and for us in the next? And he said, Yes, O Messenger of Allah. And this interaction calmed the situation. It calmed Umar down and the Prophet, the anger that he was feeling, his, his being upset also dissipated. And then the Prophet was asked by Umar, O Messenger of Allah, did you divorce your wives? He said, No. He said, Can I go and tell the companions? Because this is what they think. He said, if you please. So this shows that, and this is the principle that Allah is bringing here to us. That when you don't know something, especially matters of religion, or especially those issues which, if they spread far and wide, have a big impact on society and on people's families and their lives and what they believe in and what they say, every word that you utter, everything that you write or type or forward, it is a responsibility that we bear upon our shoulders that Allah will hold us to account for. فَقَاتِلْ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ لَا تُكَلَّفُ إِلَّا نَفْسَكَ So fight Muhammad وسلم, the way of Allah. You're only answerable for yourself. Do not be concerned if they stay behind you. The meaning is, fight even if you have to do it on your own. You are promised victory. الْمُؤْمِنِينَ And spur unbelievers to fight and encourage them to do it. عَسَى اللَّهُ أَنْ يَكُفَّ بَأْسَ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا It may well be that Allah will curb the force warring against you of those who disbelieve. وَاللَّهُ أَشَدُّ بَأْسًا وَأَشَدُّ تَنْكِيلًا Allah has greater force than them and greater power to punish them. The Messenger of Allah وسلم, said, By the one who has my life in his hand, I will go out even alone. So 70 riders went to Lesser Badr and Allah lessened the danger from the unbelievers by casting fear into their hearts. So that Abu Sufyan refused to go out, as was mentioned in Surah Al-Imran. This is the story that we mentioned yesterday and this incident is mentioned by Al-Qurtubi rahimahullah in tafsir. And that's referring to the battle of Hamra al-Asad. The battle that we said took place after Uhud. When Abu Sufyan and the Quraysh decided that they would go back. And the Prophet ﷺ had to gather and regroup the companions to face them. Even though they are tending to their wounded. And many of their number have been martyred. And they themselves are fatigued and weakened. And so the Prophet ﷺ in this narration said in order to encourage them. By Allah, even if I am alone, I will go and face them. 
and that was to encourage them to regroup themselves and to go out in to face the Quraysh once again. من يشفع شفاعة حسنة يكون له نصيب منها. Those people who join forces for the good, which is in accordance with the Sharia, will receive a reward for it. ومن يشفع شفاعة سيئة يكون له كفل منها. Those who join forces for the bad will be answerable for it and have a portion of the burden. وكان الله على كل شيء مقيتا. Allah gives everything what it deserves and repays everyone for what they did. وَإِذَا حُيِّتُمْ بِتَحِيَّةٍ فَحَيُّوا بِأَحْسَنَ مِنْهَا أَوْ مُدُّوهَا When you are greeted with a greeting, as when someone says, peace be upon you, to you, greet the one who greeted you with one better than it or return it by saying, peace be upon you and the mercy and blessings of Allah. Or you can simply reply the same, but the more ample greeting is better. إِنَّ اللَّهَ كَانَ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ Allah takes account of everything and repays it. And that includes returning greetings. The Sunnah specifies that you should not return the greeting of an unbeliever, innovator, deviant, or someone who greets you while you are answering a call of nature, and those in the bath or eating are also absolved from replying. It's said that replying is disliked in other than the last case. One says to the unbeliever and on you. This verse speaks about the importance of the greeting, the salam. And one of the first things that the Prophet ﷺ mentioned as is authentically repeated when he made his migration and came to Medina, he said to the people, Afshu salam, spread the greetings and the salams amongst you. And Allah says that if you are greeted, then it is better for you to greet in a better form. Someone says, Assalamu alaikum to you, you reply, Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Or at the very least, you reply as they reply. And in the hadith in Al Bukhari, when Allah created our father Adam السلام, Allah said to him, go to those angels and listen to their greeting and listen to the reply that the greeting is given. For that will be the greeting of your children. So he went and they gave the salams to one another and that's where it came from and that is in Sahih al-Bukhari. As-Sirti says at the end, it is said that replying is a fact other than the last case, one says to the unbeliever and on you. That's only if the disbeliever says something which is other than a greeting of peace. So if the, the disbeliever says, Assalamu alaikum clearly, then it is peace be upon you, then it's allowed to reply to them and say, Wa alaikum salam. And if they don't, as sometimes some of the Jewish people would do with the Prophet ﷺ, they would say, Assalamu alaikum, may poison be upon you, that is when we reply, and upon you as well. So that is clarification on that last point. Allah la ilaha illahu Allah there is no god but him la yajma'annakum ila yawmil qiyamati la rayba fihi he will gather you meaning from your graves to the day of rising about which there is no doubt wa man asdaqu min Allahi haditha and whose speech could be truer than Allah's no one's speech is more truthful verse 88 when the people returned from Uhud they differed about the hypocrites some said that they should be killed and others said no then this ayah was revealed. Why is it that you have become two parties regarding the hypocrites when Allah has returned them to unbelief for what they did, of unbelief and disobedience? Do you desire to guide people? Allah has misguided. Meaning, to consider them among the guided. Both questions in this ayah imply a negative reply. When Allah misguides someone, you will not find a way to guidance for him. 
And the cause of revelation of this verse that is mentioned at the beginning of verse 88 in the commentary is an authentic narration collected in Bukhari and Muslim, the hadith of Zaid ibn Thabit, radiallahu anhu. He says that when the hypocrites returned from the battle of Uhud, meaning that they left the army early as they were proceeding to the battle, the hypocrites returned with a great number and they went back to Medina. He says that the companions differed as to what we should do with those people. Some of us said we should kill them. Another from among us said, let's leave them. And that is what is being referred to in this verse. وَدُّوا لَوْ تَكْفُرُونَ كَمَا كَفَرُوا فَتَكُونُونَ سَوَاءً They would like and wish you to disbelieve as they have disbelieved, so that you and them would all be the same in respect of unbelief. فَلَا تَتَّخِذُوا مِنْهُمْ أَوْلِيَاءَ حَتَّى يُهَاجِمُوا فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ Do not take any of them as friends, even if they display belief until they have immigrated in the way of Allah with a genuine immigration which verifies their faith. فَإِن تَوَلَّوْا فَخُذُوهُمْ وَقُتُلُوهُمْ حَيْثُ وَجَدْتُمُوهُمْ But if they run away and stay, and stay as they are, then seize them as captives and kill them wherever you find them. وَلَا تَتَّخِذُوا مِنْهُمْ وَلِيًّا وَلَا نَصِيرًا Do not take any of them, either as a friend or as a helper, to help you against your enemy. إِلَّا الَّذِينَ يَصِلُونَ إِلَىٰ قَوْمٍ بَيْنَكُمْ وَبَيْنَهُمْ مِيثَاقُ Except for those who seek shelter with people with whom you have a treaty, which gives security to them and those who seek refuge with them, which is the kind of treaty the Prophet ﷺ made with Hilal ibn Umaymir. Uwaymir, that's a typo, it should be a W. Hilal ibn Uwaymir al-Aslami. Made with Hilal ibn Uwaymir al-Aslami. أَوْ جَاءُوكُمْ حَصِرَتْ صُدُورُهُمْ أَنْ يُقَاتِلُوكُمْ أَوْ يُقَاتِلُوا قَوْمَهُمْ or who come to you with their breasts, constricted at the thought of fighting either you with their, with their people or their own people with you. And so, they do not fight you. Do not turn towards them with the intention of capture or killing. The next part of the verse was abrogated by the ayah of the sword. وَلَوْ شَاءَ اللَّهُ لَسَلَّطَهُمْ عَلَيْكُمْ فَلَقَاتَلُوكُمْ If Allah had willed, He could have given them the upper hand over you by making their hearts strong, and then they would have fought you. But He did not and instead, and instead cast fear into their hearts. فَإِنْ اَعْتَزَلُوكُمْ فَلَمْ يُقَاتِلُوكُمْ وَأَلْقَوْا إِلَيْكُمُ السَّلَمَ فَمَا جَعَلَ اللَّهُ لَكُمْ عَلَيْهِمْ سَبِيلًا If they keep away from you and do not fight you, offering a truce, and submit to you, Allah has not given you any way against such people to seize and kill them. And not all of the scholars agree with this opinion that this verse has been abrogated. This is one opinion amongst the scholars of tafsir, another one that is not abrogated. But it continues, and so if people make treaties and they make peace and so on amongst themselves, that is something which is allowed. You will find others who desire to be safe from you by making a display of belief among you and safe from their own people by claiming to be unbelievers when they return to them. The people referred to here were Asad and Ghatafan. As mentioned by Imam al Qurtubi in his tafsir, when they're with the believers, they seek safety by showing belief. And when they're the disbelievers, they seek, seek safety from them by showing disbelief. Yeah. Each time they are returned to idolatry, fitna, meaning shirk, they are overwhelmed by it and are in a worse position. If they do not keep away from you, meaning by not fighting you, or submit to you, or refrain from fighting you, seize them by taking them into captivity, and kill them wherever you find them. 
وَأُولَٰئِكُمْ جَعَلْنَا لَكُمْ عَلَيْهِمْ سُلْطَانًا مُّبِينًا Over such people, we have given you clear authority, clear evidence to kill them because of their treachery. وَمَا كَانَ لِمُؤْمِنٍ أَن يَقْتُلَ مُؤْمِنًا إِلَّا خَطَأً A believer should never kill another believer unless it is by mistake. Homicide of a believer must only take place unintentionally, such as might happen when hunting or by hitting someone with what would normally be a non-fatal blow. Homicide of a believer must only take place, and it shouldn't take place, but if it does, it's unintentional. وَمَنْ قَتَلَ مُؤْمِنًا خَطَأً فَتَحْرِيرُ رَقَبَةٍ مُؤْمِنَةٍ وَدِيَةٌ مُسَلَّمَةٌ إِلَىٰ أَهْدِهِ إِلَّا أَنْ يَصَّدَّقُوا In that case, anyone who kills a believer by mistake should free a believing slave and pay blood money to his family, meaning the heirs of the victim, unless they forego it as sadaqah and pardon the killer. It is clear that the Sunnis consider the amount of blood money to be 100 camels. That's a mistranslation. It is clear that the Sunnis, as says, sunnah. The Sunnah has made clear that the blood money is 100 camels, not the disposition of the Sunnis. It is the Sunnah that has made clear that what is the blood money, what is the ransom that is given the blood money, it is a hundred camels. And that is by Ijma' as Imam al said, by consensus of the Muslim scholars. Where they differ is what those hundred camels should consist of, meaning the age groups of the animals, of the camels and so on. That's where they differ. But it's a hundred camels that is the value of what is given now. 22-year-old camels, 23-year-old females, 23-year-old males, 24-year-olds, and 25-year-olds. They are paid by the, tri- by the tribe, Aqila, of the killer, who are his male relatives, Asaba, and are distributed over three years. The wealthy pay half a dinar, and the moderately wealthy a quarter every year. If that is impossible, then the wrongdoer must pay it. فَإِن كَانَ مِن قَوْمٍ عَدُوٍ لَكُمْ وَهُوَ مُؤْمِنٌ فَتَحْرِيرُ رَقَبَةٍ مُؤْمِنَةٍ If he is from a people who are your enemies and is a believer, you should free a believing slave. The killer then owes kafara rather than blood money, paid to the family since they are enemies. وَإِن كَانَ مِن قَوْمٍ بَيْنَكُمْ وَبَيْنَهُمْ مِيثَاقٌ فَدِيَةٌ مُسَلَّمَةٌ إِلَىٰ أَهْلِهِ وَتَحْرِيرُ رَقَبَةٍ مُؤْمِنَةٍ If he, meaning the victim, is from a people with whom you have a treaty, as with the people of the dhimma, then blood money should be paid to his family. And the blood money is one-third of that of a believer if the victim is a Jew or Christian and three-tenths if it is a Magian. And you, meaning the killer, should free a believing slave. If one, if one cannot free a slave, then anyone who cannot find the means should fast for two consecutive months as kafara for it. Allah did not mention moving on to feeding as in the dhihar divorce. A shafi'i takes that in the sandal of two positions. Tawbatan min Allah. This is a concession from Allah. وَكَانَ اللَّهُ عَلِيمًا حَكِيمًا Allah is all-knowing of His creation, all-wise in how He manages them. What Imam al-Shafi'i rahmullah is saying there is that in dhihar, dhihar is when they used to say concerning their wives, the husband says about his wife that you are like, you are to me like my mother is. You are to me like my mother is. And that was a form of evil divorce in the time of Jahiliyyah that Islam made haram. And if someone does it, they have to free a slave. And if they cannot fast two consecutive months, and if not, then feed 64 people. Imam Shafi'i said here that Allah in this verse doesn't mention the feeding. He just gives the two options and not the third. And so therefore, those are the only two options available. We don't add the third based on the other verse. That's what he's referring to. وَمَنْ يَقْتُلْ مُؤْمِنًا مُتَعَمِّدًا فَجَزَاؤُهُ جَهَنَّمُ خَالِدًا فِيهَا 
As for anyone who kills a believer deliberately with the intention of doing so and knowing that he is a believer, his repayment is hell, remaining in it timelessly forever. Allah is angry with him and has cursed him and has put him far from his mercy by his curse and has prepared for him a terrible punishment in the fire. This is interpreted as applying to anyone who desired it or as being his repayment if he is repaid. There is no contradiction here of Allah's words. He forgives what is less than that for whomever he wishes. Ibn Abbas said that this threat should be taken literally but that is mitigated by other ayat of forgiveness. The ayat of Surah Al-Baqarah about murder make it clear that a deliberate murderer should be killed in retaliation for his crime, but that blood money is acceptable if he is pardoned. The man is clear. The sunnah clarifies what happens if the homicide is quasi-deliberate or by mistake, which is when someone is killed in a way which would not normally prove fatal, in which case there is no retaliation and blood money is paid. And this is the position of Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah, that every major sin not including kufr takes a person outside of Islam, for every major sin, including murder, there is tawbah for it. And if a person has iman, they will eventually come out of the fire. And the statement of Ibn Abbas is understood that a person that enters into the fire has two types of khulud, two types of remaining therein. One is remaining therein until they are purified, and that is for the believers, the Muslims, until they are purified from their sins, then Allah takes them out and enters them into Jannah. And the other one is the eternal khulud, khalidan fiha abada. And in this verse, Allah doesn't mention the word abada. And so therefore, it is a settling in the fire until they are purified from their sin, and that is based upon the countless other verses and other hadith of the Prophet ﷺ that clearly established that principle. That so long as a person has the base level of iman, then they will eventually come out of the fire. And Allah knows best. Verse 94. This is a reference to an occasion when some, some companions stopped a man of the Banu Sulaim who was driving some sheep. He greeted them, but they said, You have only said you are Muslim out of fear, and killed him and drove off his sheep. Ya amanu idha fi O you who believe, when you go out to fight in jihad in the way of Allah, verify things carefully. Read as tabayyanu, and in one case, tathabbatu. وَلَا تَقُولُوا لِمَنْ أَلْقَى إِلَيْكُمُ السَّلَامَ لَسْتَ مُؤْمِنًا تَبْتَغُونَ عَرَضَ الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا Do not say you are not a believer, accusing him of declaring himself a Muslim merely to protect his life and property. To someone who greets you as a Muslim, literally gives you the salam or salam, simply out of desire for the goods of this world, killing him out of desire for beauty. The Muslim greeting or saying the shahada are sufficient evidence that a person is Muslim. فَعِنْدَ اللَّهِ مَغَانِمُ In Allah's keeping, there is beauty in abundance. Allah's abundant generosity will dispense with your having to kill people like that for their property. كَذَلِكَ كُنْتُمْ مِنْ قَبْلُ فَمَنَّ اللَّهُ عَلَيْكُمْ That is the way you were before, protecting your lives and property by simply saying the shahada. But Allah has been kind to you, meaning by making belief and righteousness the norm. فَتَبَيَّنُوا So verify things carefully. Take stock of the situation before acting. In case you kill a believer, and act towards someone who has entered Islam as you used to do in the days before Islam. Allah is aware of what you do and will reward you. This uh, narration that is mentioned at the beginning, the man of Ben Sulaim, is an authentic narration mentioned by Bukhari of Ibn Abbas. That a group of Muslims found a man who had war beauty with him. And the man gave them the greetings of salam and he said, he's not a believer. He only said the salam so that he can escape with this wealth that doesn't belong to him. So they killed him. 
And so Allah Azza wa revealed this verse. And that's why he says in verse number 94 to someone who greets you as a Muslim. Alqa ilaykum salama u salama. Salam is the greeting. Salam is the word for peace and security and safety. And Allah Azza wa says at the end of this verse, This is how you were before, meaning before Islam, with a lack of knowledge, in ignorance, not knowing what to do. And that is the beauty of knowledge and it is the beauty of this religion. That Allah Azza wa makes things clear and He clarifies for us how we behave in all of these situations and gives us clear principles and guidelines and etiquettes as to how to behave. So clarify, ask if you don't know, find out before you do something that is harmful to you and others. لا يستوي القاعدون من المؤمنين غير أولي الضرر والمجاهدون في سبيل الله بأموالهم وأنفسهم Those believers who stay behind from jihad, other than those forced by necessity due to chronic illness, blindness and the like, are not the same as those who do jihad in the way of Allah, sacrificing their wealth and themselves. فضل الله المجاهدين بأموالهم وأنفسهم على القاعدين درجة Allah has given those who do jihad with their wealth and themselves a higher rank than those who stay behind, except for those who do so out of necessity, since they are equal in the intention with those who go out. Allah has promised the best, meaning the garden to both groups. But Allah has preferred those who do jihad over those who stay behind without necessity by an immense reward. In Sahih al-Bukhari, in the hadith of Al-Bara ibn Azib, or in the narration rather of Al-Bara ibn Azib, he says that when Allah Azza wa revealed this verse, they are equal those who stay back and those who go and fight. Abdullah ibn Ummi Maktoum, who was one of the Mu'addins of the Prophet وسلم, but was also a blind man. He came and he complained to the Prophet O Messenger of Allah, this verse is revealed before the exception is mentioned, except for those with chronic illness and so on, the people of valid excuse. He said before this, he came to the Prophet and he said, O Messenger of Allah, what about me? I'm blind. What do I do? What about me? And then Allah Azza wa revealed the remainder of the verse. They are people who are the exception to this rule. High ranks, one above the other, conferred by him, as well as forgiveness and mercy. Allah is ever forgiving to his friends, most merciful to those who obey him. Verse 97, this was revealed about a group who became Muslim and did not emigrate and then were killed at Badr with the unbelievers. The angels ask in rebuke, those who take while they, are wrong, while they are wronging themselves by staying among unbelievers and not making hijrah, what were your circumstances? Meaning, what were you doing about your deen? They reply, meaning to excuse themselves, we were oppressed on earth, unable to establish the deen in Mecca. They, meaning the angels, say to censure them, was Allah's earth not wide enough for you to have emigrated elsewhere in it, meaning to have left the land of the unbelievers for another land as others did. Allah Almighty says, the shelter of such people will be hell, what evil journeys end. In Sahih al-Bukhari, in the commentary of Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhum on this verse, he says that these were people who were Muslims, 
but they didn't migrate out of choice. And this is different to the verse that we already mentioned where Abdullah ibn Abbas is commenting, except for those men and those women and those children who were mustad'afeen, they were too weak and unable to migrate. That's a different verse. These are people who had the ability, but they chose not to. And they claimed Islam. So in the Battle of Badr, when they were standing, they were standing on the side of the non-Muslims because they came out with the army of the Quraysh. And then when some of them were killed, they said, why are we being shot at? Why are we being killed? We're Muslims. And they were standing though in the army and the ranks of the non-Muslims. So Allah Azza wa He said, is referring to those people in this verse. They had no valid excuse not to make the hijrah. إِلَّا الْمُسْتَضْعَفِينَ مِنَ الرِّجَالِ وَالنِّسَاءِ وَالْوِلْدَانِ لَا يَسْتَطِيعُونَ حِيلَةً وَلَا يَهْتَدُونَ سَبِيلًا Except for those men, women and children who really are oppressed and do not have any other possibility, such as the physical capacity to emigrate or sufficient funds and are not guided to any way to emigrate. فَأُولَٰئِكَ عَسَى اللَّهُ أَنْ يَعْفُوَ عَنْهُمْ It may well be that Allah will pardon them. وَكَانَ اللَّهُ عَفُوًا غَفُورًا Allah is ever pardoning, ever forgiving. وَمَنْ يُهَادِرْ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ يَجِدْ فِي الْأَرْضِ مُرَاغَمًا كَثِيرًا وَسَعَةً Those who emigrate in the way of Allah will find many places of refuge in the earth to which to emigrate and ample sustenance and provision. وَمَنْ يَخْرُجْ مِنْ بَيْتِهِ مُهَادِرًا إِلَى اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ ثُمَّ يُدْرِكْهُ الْمَوْتُ فَقَدْ وَقَعَ أَجْرُهُ عَلَى اللَّهِ if anyone leaves his home, emigrating to Allah and his messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and death catches up with him on the way, as it did with Al-Jundu' ibn Dhamra al-Layfi, it is Allah who will reward him. وَكَانَ اللَّهُ غَفُورًا رَحِيمًا Allah is ever forgiving, most merciful. This verse, and you can see from these verses, that Allah Azza wa is showing the differences and the disparity between those people who are sincere in their religion and made an attempt to migrate and join the Prophet sallallahu and those people who are unable to. In verse 100, this is another example and it's an authentic narration that is mentioned by At-Tabari in his tafsir from Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhumah. He says that there was a man in Mecca by the name of Damra, as is mentioned here by Asiruti rahimahullah, Damra, from the people of Mecca, from the tribe of Banu Bakr. And he was an old man and he was ill and he was a believer and he wanted to migrate but because of his illness and his sickness and his physical weakness, he was unable to migrate. So all he could do was say to his family one day that I am ill and sick and it's because the environment or the air here in Mecca doesn't suit me anymore. So I want to go out you know, to the, to the desert. I want to go out of the city. So they said to him, okay, we'll take you out. We'll, we'll help you. Which direction? Where, where shall we go? So he pointed in the direction of Medina just so that he could come closer. And so he comes closer to the city of Medina, they take him out and he's in the direction of Medina and that is where he passes away. And so Allah Azza wa Jal, he said, Ibn Abbas revealed the verse concerning this person and people like him who didn't have the ability to migrate but they left with their intention to do it to the best of their ability however they could and then death came to them, Allah says that he will reward them for their intention and the effort that they made. وَإِذَا ضَرَبْتُمْ فِي الْأَرْضِ فَلَيْسَ عَلَيْكُمْ جُنَاحٌ أَن تَقْصُرُوا مِنَ الصَّلَاةِ إِنْ خِفْتُمْ أَن يَفْتِنَكُمُ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا When you are traveling in the land, there is nothing wrong in your shortening the prayer, meaning by turning four rak'ahs into two. If you fear that those who disbelieve might harass you, that an enemy will harm you. إِنَّ الْكَافِرِينَ كَانُوا لَكُمْ عَدُوًّا مُبِينًا The unbelievers are your manifest enemies.
The unbelievers are mentioned to clarify the situation. The Sunnah makes it clear that this only applies to a journey of 48 miles or more, which is two stages. The use of the expression, nothing wrong, means that this is a dispensation, a rukhsa, which is a position of a shafi'i. So this is now the ruling of traveling and shortening the prayer and so on. And there is a great deal of difference of opinion amongst the scholars of Islam concerning what constitutes a journey. This expression of his, which is two stages, yani farsakhin, that is how they would measure their distances in those times, that's what it's referring to. Two stages, I think, is an accurate translation of that. But it's roughly 40 odd miles or 40 odd kilometers, 80 odd kilometers. And the position, though, that is stronger and Allah Azza wa knows best is that a journey is determined by the urf and the custom of the people. What are people in that locality considered to be a journey, meaning a travel? Then that is a travel because cities differ in size. And so someone may be living in a town which is small for them to go to the next town is considered a journey because it takes a couple of hours. And some people live in places like New York and Los Angeles where it takes a couple of hours to get from one side to the other anyway. And so it's something which therefore is dependent upon people. And the position of Imam Shafi'i rahimahullah ta'ala is that this is a rukhsa. Meaning that is it something which a person should take or is it better for them to fulfill the prayer? The scholars have different approaches that of that once they agree that it is allowed, which one is better to take the rukhsa, the dispensation, or to not take it? And the position that is stronger is that it is better to take it because the Prophet said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, that Allah loves that his concessions be taken. وَإِذَا كُنْتَ فِيهِمْ فَأَقَمْتَ لَهُمُ الصَّلَاةَ فَلْتَقُمْ طَائِفَةٌ مِّنْهُمْ مَعَكَ وَلْيَأْخُذُوا أَسْلِحَتَهُمْ When you are with them and you fear the enemy, and you are leading them in the prayer, a group of them should stand with you, while the other group stands behind, while those standing with you are keeping hold of their weapons. When they prostrate in the prayer, the others should be behind you, on guard, until this group finish the prayers. Then those who have prayed, go to God. And then the other group who have not prayed should come and pray with you. They too should be careful and keep hold of their weapons until they finish the prayer. The Prophet ﷺ prayed like that at Batul Nakhl, as both Muslim and Al Bukhari relate. الذين كفروا لو تغفلون عن أسلحتكم وأمتعتكم فيميلون عليكم ميلة واحدة. Those who disbelieve would like you to be negligent of your arms and equipment when you pray so that they can swoop down on you in attack once and for all. This is the reason for the command to keep your weapons. وَلَا جُنَاحَ عَلَيْكُمْ إِنْ كَانَ بِكُمْ أَذًا مِّنْ مَطَرٍ أَوْ كُنْتُمْ مَضَّاءً تَضَعُوا أَسْلِحَتَكُمْ There is nothing wrong if you are bothered by rain or you are ill in laying your weapons down and not holding them. This means it is obligatory to keep them by you when there is no excuse. That is one of two opinions of his Shafi'i. The second is that it is Sunnah which has more weight. But take every precaution against the enemy as much as you can. Allah has prepared a humiliating punishment for the unbelievers. So this verse, verse 102 is regarding the ahkam and the rulings of Salatul Khawf, the prayer of fear, and clearly it's detailed and how it's done and how it's performed and offered is a place for the books of hadith and the books of fiqh. 
But the point that I want to mention here or pick up on is the commentary of Musuti Rahimullah Ta'ala where he mentions that the Prophet prayed it in Batnul Nakhl as is mentioned in Al-Bukhari and Muslim. Batnul Nakhl is a name or another name for the battle that is more famously known as Dhatu Riqa' Dhatu Riqa' which was fought in the fourth year of the Hijrah against the tribe of Ghatafan. And the Prophet came to that place and he didn't find them. He came to fight them but they had already run away. So it was one of those battles and it said that the area was known or the area that he came to was known as Batnul Nakhal and that's where that name comes from. And that's one of those places where the Prophet offered the uh, prayer of fear, the Salatul Khawf. فَإِذَا قَضَيْتُمُ الصَّلَاةَ فَذْكُرُوا اللَّهَ قِيَامًا وَقُعُودًا وَعَلَى جُنُوبِكُمْ When you have finished the prayer, remember Allah by saying La ilaha illallah and glorifying Him, standing, sitting, and lying on your sides, in other words, in every state. فَإِذَا طَمَأْنَنْتُمْ فَأَقِيمُوا الصَّلَاةَ When you are safe, again, do the prayer in the normal way. إِنَّ الصَّلَاةَ كَانَتْ عَلَى الْمُؤْمِنِينَ كِتَابًا مَوْقُوتًا The prayer is prescribed for the believers at set times and should not be delayed. It was revealed when this, the Prophet This uh, commentary now, it was revealed that the Prophet <coughs> sent a group look for Abu Sufyan is the commentary of the next verse for 104. It was revealed when the Prophet sent a group to look for Abu Sufyan and his companions when they returned from Uhud and were, su- and were suffering from wounds. وَلَا تَهِنُوا فِي بِتِغَاءِ الْقَوْمِ do not relax and weaken in pursuit of your enemy, meaning the unbelievers, in seeking to fight them. If you feel pain from wounds, they too are feeling it, just as you are from the wounds they suffered in fighting you. But you hope for something from Allah they cannot hope for, meaning victory and reward. So you have more than they have and should be more eager than they are for the fight. وَكَانَ اللَّهُ عَلِيمًا حَكِيمًا Allah is knowing of all things, all wise in what He does. Verse 105. Prove his innocence, and then this was revealed. We have sent down the book, meaning the Quran, to you with the truth, so that you can judge between people according to what Allah has shown to you and taught you. But do not be an advocate for the treacherous, like Qutma. So this <coughs> narration is mentioned. In by Tabari from Qatada Rahimahullah Ta'ala who is one of the Tabi'een and so it is a Mursal narration meaning that Qatada isn't a companion he is from the generation afterwards but he narrates this incident from the time of the companions and that is that this man Tu'ma Ibn Ubayrak he stole a shield and he stole it and he then hid it with a Jewish man and he blamed him for it so the Jewish man who was found with him and so he was considered to be guilty and he said, it's not mine. This man came and he hid it here, it's not mine. So the tribe or the family of Ubayra came to the Prophet Sallam to, to uh, intercede on his behalf. And that's why Allah Azza wa Jalla is saying, according to that narration, do not be an advocate for the treacherous. وَلَا تَكُلِّ الْخَائِنِينَ خَصِيمًا In verse 105. 
and ask Allah's forgiveness for what was intended. Allah is ever forgiving, most merciful. And this is the Prophet didn't actually intercede, didn't actually accept the intercession, but he thought about it, and maybe he was inclined to it or he was considering it. And so some of the scholars point out that Allah tells us to make istighfar for even the things that we did not necessarily do, but the thoughts that settle in our minds and our hearts that we then have some type of conviction or we think that actually this is something that I do wish to do and it may be wrong. It is a etiquette then to make istighfar for it. وَلَا تُجَادِلْ عَنِ الَّذِينَ يَخْتَانُونَ أَنفُسَهُمْ Do not argue on behalf of those who betray themselves by acts of rebellion. The acts of which will rebound on them. إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يُحِبُّ مَنْ كَانَ خَوَّانًا أَثِيمًا Allah does not love any evil-doing traitors. He will punish them. يَسْتَخْفُونَ مِنَ النَّاسِ وَلَا يَسْتَخْفُونَ مِنَ اللَّهِ they, Bu'ma and his cronies, try to conceal themselves out of shameful people. But they cannot conceal themselves from Allah. He is with them, meaning with his knowledge, when they spend the night saying things which are not pleasing to him. That situation occurred when they resolved to lie about stealing and attribute it to the Jew. Allah encompasses everything they do, meaning in knowledge. هَا أَنْتُمْ هَاُولَاءِ جَادَلْتُمْ عَنْهُمْ فِي الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا Here you, meaning Tu'ma's clan, are arguing on the behalf Tu'ma and his cronies in this world فَمَنْ يُجَادِلُ اللَّهَ عَنْهُمْ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ But who will argue with Allah on their behalf on the day of rising when he punishes them? أَمَّنْ يَكُونُ عَلَيْهِمْ وَكِيلًا Who will act as a guardian for them then? Meaning, who will look after them and protect them? No one will be able to. وَمَنْ يَعْمَلْ سُوءًا أَوْ يَظْلِمْ نَفْسَهُ ثُمَّ يَسْتَغْفِرِ اللَّهَ يَجِدِ اللَّهَ غَفُورًا رَحِيمًا Anyone who does evil by which he wrongs another, as Tu'ma did in accusing the Jew, or wrongs himself by committing a wrong action which is confined to himself, and then repents and asks Allah's forgiveness for it, will find Allah ever forgiving, most merciful to him. وَمَنْ يَكْسِبَ إِثْمًا فَإِنَّمَا يَكْسِبُهُ عَلَى نَفْسِهِ if anyone commits an evil action, the responsibility for it is his alone, because it rebounds on him and does not harm anyone else. وَكَانَ اللَّهُ عَلِيمًا حَكِيمًا Allah is all-knowing, all-wise in what he does. وَمَنْ يَكْسِبَ خَطِيئَةً أَوْ إِثْمًا ثُمَّ يَرْمِ بِهِ بَرِيئًا فَقَدْ اِحْتَمَلَ بُهْتَانًا وَإِثْمًا مُبِيناً Anyone who commits an error, meaning a minor wrong action, or an evil action, meaning a major wrong action, and then ascribes it to someone who is innocent, bears the weight of slander and clear wrongdoing for what he did. Were it not for Allah's favor to you, Muhammad وسلم, and his mercy, meaning protection here, a group of them, meaning the people with Tu'ma, would almost have managed to mislead you from judging by the truth by confusing you about what happened. But they mislead no one but themselves and do not harm you at all because the evil effects of their misguidance will rebound back on themselves. 
وأنزل الله عليك الكتاب والحكمة وعلمك ما لم تكن تعلم Allah has sent down the book meaning the Quran and wisdom meaning the rulings it contains to you and taught you what you did not know before referring to rulings and matters of the unseen وَكَانَ فَضْلُ اللَّهِ عَلَيْكَ عَظِيمًا Allah's favor to you by doing that and other things is indeed immense. This verse 113 shows from the great blessings of turning to Allah and making dhikr of Allah and remembering Allah is that He protects you from evil outcomes. Allah will protect you from evil outcomes because that is His divine protection for those people. Allah is saying His mercy, His grace, that He didn't allow those people to misguide you in what they wanted you to do. So when you turn to Allah and you remember Him and you're constantly aware of Allah Azza wa Jal, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protects you from the plots and the evil of others. لا خير في كثير من نجواهم There is no good in much of their secret talk, meaning what people gather together to, to talk about privately. إلا من أمر بصدقة أو معروف أو إصلاح بين الناس Except in the case of those who enjoy sadaqah, or what is right, or putting things right between people. If anyone does that, seeking the pleasure of Allah, and none of the rewards of this world, we will give him an immense reward. Read as nu'tihi, we will give him, and yu'tihi, he will give him. And Allah Azza wa here isn't forbidding people sitting together privately in their homes and so on. But Allah Azza wa is saying or bringing to our attention a reality that we all know and acknowledge. That when people often gather together, much of their speech contains things which are frivolous and sometimes can be sinful. Lying and mocking and spreading rumors and backbiting and so on and so forth. How often is that the case when people get together, they end up wasting their time. And if it is free from that, then it's halal and it's okay. But the danger is that that often becomes the case when people come together. And that's why the uh, practice of our scholars and our teachers was, even when they came to those types of gatherings, when it led to something where there was going to be a waste of time, either they themselves would say something to change the conversation, or they would move away and they would benefit themselves with something else. Our Shaykh Muhammad, Ibn Muhammad al-Mukhtar al-Shaqiti, Hafizahullah, told us concerning his father, Shaykh Muhammad Mukhtar al-Shaqiti, one of the great scholars of hadith in Medina, rahimahullah ta'ala. He said that often my father, when he would go to functions or when he was invited to someone's house, he would take his books with him. He would take a book with him. And he would sit with those people so long as that conversation was good and it was beneficial and he's joining the ties of kinship and so on. But once the conversation started to take a turn to other matters and to just general chit-chat, he would take his chair and he would move away and he would open his book and he would busy himself with knowledge. But if anyone opposes the messenger regarding what Allah, وسلم, regarding what Allah has revealed of the truth after the guidance and truth has become clear to him through the witnessing of miracles, and by disbelieving, following others other than the path of the believers, which is that of following the deen, we will hand him over to whatever he has turned to, meaning to his misguidance and leave him to it in this world. And we will admit him to the fire in the next world and roast him in hell. What an evil destination to return to. And this is a verse that speaks about the importance of following the path of the companions and their methodology. 
verse 115 and follows the path other than the path of the believers. The believers in this verse primarily are the companions. It is their path that we have been told to follow in the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. Follow my sunnah and the sunnah of the Khulafa after me. The best of generations is my generation and those who come after them and after them. And so this is one of those verses that speaks about the virtue of the companions and the importance of us to follow their methodology. And that's why in our tafsir, that's what we do. In our fiqh, that's what we do. In our religion, that's what we do. إن الله لا يغفر أن يشرك به ويغفر ما دون ذلك لمن يشاء. Allah does not forgive partners being attributed to Him, but He forgives whomever He wills for anything apart from that. ومن يشرك بالله فقد ضل ضلالا بعيدا. Anyone who attributes partners to Allah has gone far, meaning from the truth into misguidance. إن يدعون من دونه إلا إناثا. What they call on and what the idolaters worship apart from him are female, are female idols such as Allat, Al-Uzza and Al-Manat. The scholars say, Allah is saying in verse 117, they call upon female idols. Some of the scholars of Tafsir said meaning that the names that they would give to the idols were feminine forms or feminine versions of some of the names of Allah like Uzza comes from Aziz uh, and so on and so forth. So they would take those names and they would make them into the feminine form. That's one opinion amongst the scholars of Tafsir. The other is that it's referring to their gods that they would worship as angels. Because they used to say that the angels are the daughters of Allah. They worship their female. Allah doesn't say that he call, they call upon idols. The actual word in Arabic is that they call upon females. And it is the translators of adding the word idols because that is one of the positions of the scholars of Tafsir. So another position is that it's referring to the female as in the angels they used to claim that they are the daughters of Allah. And the third opinion is that it's referring to the material that they were made from the idols, the stones and the wood and so on. Because in Arabic, those inanimate objects are often referred to in the feminine form. What they call on in their worship is an arrogant, disobedient shaytan, meaning Iblis, whom they follow in his disobedience to Allah. لَعَنَهُ اللَّهُ Whom Allah has cursed, meaning putting him far from Allah's mercy. وَقَالَ لَأَتَّخِذَنَّ مِنْ عِبَادِكَ نَصِيبًا مَفْعُوضًا He, meaning shaytan, said, I will take a definite portion of your slaves whom I will call to obey me. وَلَأُضِلَّنَّهُمْ وَلَأُمَنِّيَنَّهُمْ I will lead them astray from the truth by whisperings and fill them with false hopes, filling their hearts with desire for long life and to be resurrected without reckoning. وَلَآمُرَنَّهُمْ فَلَيُبَتِّكُنَّ آذَانَ الْأَنْعَامِ I will command them and they will cut off the ears of cattle following the superstition of the Bahira. وَلَآمُرَنَّهُمْ فَلَيُغَيِّرُنَّ خَلْقَ اللَّهِ I will command them and they will change Allah's creation. Meaning, change Allah's deen by unbelief and making lawful what Allah has made unlawful and unlawful what is lawful. وَمَنْ يَتَّخِذِ الشَّيْطَانَ وَلِيًّا مِّن دُونِ اللَّهِ فَقَدْ خَسِرَ خُسْرَانًا مُّبِينًا Anyone who takes shaytan as his protector and obeys shaytan instead of Allah has clearly lost everything and will certainly end up eternally in the fire. يَعِدُهُمْ وَيُمَنِّيهِمْ He makes promises to them of long lives and fills them with false hopes of this world and that there will be no resurrection or reckoning. 
وَمَا يَعِدُهُمُ الشَّيْطَانُ إِلَّا غُرُورًا For what shaitan promises them in that way is nothing but false delusion. And that last part of the verse deserves to be highlighted and underlined and memorized and remembered. وَمَا يَعِدُهُمُ الشَّيْطَانُ إِلَّا غُرُورًا Shaitan promises nothing except delusion. أُولَٰئِكَ مَأْوَاهُمْ جَهَنَّمْ The shelter of such people will be hell. وَلَا يَجِدُونَ عَنْهَا مَحِيصًا They will find no escape route from it. وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِنُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ سَنُدَخِلُهُمْ جَنَّاتٍ تَجْرِي مِنْ تَحْتِهَا الْأَنْهَارُ خَالِدِينَ فِيهَا أَبَدًا But as for those who believe and do right actions, we will admit them into gardens with rivers flowing under them, remaining in them timelessly forever, without end. وَعْدَ اللَّهِ حَقَّا Allah's promise is true. Meaning Allah's promise is a true promise which will certainly come to pass. وَمَنْ أَصْدَقُ مِنَ اللَّهِ قِيلًا Whose speech could be truer than Allah's. Verse 123. This was revealed when the Muslims and people of the book were boasting against one another. لَيْسَ بِأَمَانِيِّكُمْ وَلَا أَمَانِيِّ أَهْلِ الْكِتَابِ It is not a matter of wishful thinking on your part and not theoretical. Or of the wishful thinking of the people of the book. It is by righteous action. مَنْ يَعْمَلْ سُوءًا يُجَزَ بِهِ Anyone who does evil will be repaid for it, either in the next world or in this world, by affliction through trials, as is reported in hadith. وَلَا يَجِدُونَ لَهُمْ مِنْ دُونِ اللَّهِ وَلِيًّا وَلَا نَصِيرًا He will not find any protector to preserve him or helper to defend him besides Allah. This uh, verse 123, the cause of revelation is mentioned by Ibn Kathir rahimahullah as a statement of Qatada rahimahullah ta'ala, this famous student of Anas ibn Malik and many of the companions, he said that the people of the book used to say that our qibla was before your qibla and our book was revealed before your book and the Muslims used to respond to this and they used to debate them and say but our prophet is the seal of the prophets and our book is the one that overcomes all books meaning it abrogates all books that have come before it so Allah Azza wa Jal revealed this verse it is not according to your wishes or to this and that is because our religion is based upon firm guidelines that Allah Azza wa Jal chooses and Allah Azza wa Jal legislates وَمَنْ يَعْمَلْ مِنَ الصَّالِحَاتِ مِنْ ذَكَرٍ أَوْ أُنْثَى وَهُوَ مُؤْمِنٌ فَأُولَٰئِكَ يَدْخُلُونَ الْجَنَّةَ وَلَا يُظْلَمُونَ نَقِيرًا Anyone, male or female, who does right actions and is a believer, will enter the garden. They will not be wronged by as much as the tiniest moat. The tiniest moat, naqib, refers to the size of the spot on a date stone. وَمَنْ أَحْسَنُ دِينًا مِّمَّنْ أَسْلَمَ وَجْهَهُ لِلَّهِ وَهُوَ مُحْسِنُ وَاتَّبَعَ مِلَّةَ إِبْرَاهِيمَ حَنِيفًا Who, here meaning no one, has a better deen than someone who submits himself completely to Allah and makes his actions sincere and is a good doer, meaning someone who affirms the unity of Allah and follows the religion of Ibrahim, which is in harmony with the deen of Islam. A man of pure natural belief, inclining from all other religions to the true deen. وَاتَّخَذَ اللَّهُ إِبْرَاهِيمَ خَلِيلًا Allah took Ibrahim as an intimate friend. An intimate friend is one who is sincere in his love. وَلِلَّهِ مَا فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَمَا فِي الْأَرْضِ Everything in the heavens and everything in the earth belongs to Allah. It is all his property, his creation and his creatures. وَكَانَ اللَّهُ بِكُلِّ شَيْءٍ مُحِيطًا Allah encompasses everything in knowledge and power. Such is his constant attribute. 
وَيَسْتَفْتُونَكَ فِي النِّسَاءِ They will ask you for a definitive ruling, a fatwa about women and their inheritance. This uh, verse is going to be concerning Aisha radiallahu anha says in Bukhari used to refer to the men who used to have um, orphan girls under their custodianship. And they used to inherit along with them. And it was allowed for them to marry those orphan girls when they grew up, meaning that they're not from the maharim. But they used to look after their wealth and they would have a share of their wealth and those girls would have a share of their wealth. And when those girls would grow up and not be of marriageable age, they wouldn't like them to get married off. Because if they get married off, then now their husband will take their share of their wealth and it will be divided from that person who was their custodian and their guardian. And so they used to try to keep that wealth because the Arabs had this thing that men deserve the inheritance. So Allah Azza wa says he will give you a ruling concerning this. قُلِ اللَّهُ يُفْتِيكُمْ فِيهِنَّ وَمَا يُتْلَى عَلَيْكُمْ فِي الْكِتَابِ فِي يَتَامَ النِّسَاءِ اللَّاتِي لَا تُؤْتُونَهُنَّ مَا كُتِبَ لَهُنَّ Say, meaning to them, Allah gives you a definitive ruling about them. And also what is recited to you in the book, meaning the Qur'an, of the ayat of inheritance. And he also gives you a ruling about orphan girls to whom you do not give the inheritance they are owed in the way prescribed for them. وَتَرْغَبُونَ أَن تَنْكِحُوهُنَّ While at the same time desiring to marry them. And you, meaning guardians, do not desire to marry them because they are unattractive, but want to prevent them from marrying because you desire their inheritance. He gives you a def- definite ruling that you should not do that. وَالْمُسْتَضْعَفِينَ مِنَ الْوِلْدَانِ And also about young children who are denied their rights. وَأَن تَقُومُوا لِلْيَتَامَى بِالْقِسْطَ And he also commands that you should act justly with respect to orphans regarding inheritance and dowries. وَمَا تَفْعَلُوا مِنْ خَيْرٍ فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ كَانَ بِهِ عَلِيمًا Whatever good you do, Allah knows it and will repay you for it. And as we said before, it was a practice of the Arabs that they wouldn't inherit their women, nor would they inherit their children. So when Allah says here in this verse, while at the same time desiring to marry them, as Ibn Kathir ta'ala says that what they would do, these, therefore these men, is either they would want to marry these orphan girls themselves so that they could keep that wealth, but if they wanted to marry them, they wouldn't give them a proper dowry. They wouldn't give them a dowry that women of girls of their age and like them would receive elsewhere from other people. And that was also another form of oppression. And then if they didn't want to marry them, they wouldn't allow the other people to marry them either. Not because they're unattractive. I think that is a mistranslation. He says, not because people don't want them. لا يرغبون فيهم that they don't actually want them. It's not because that they're not marriageable or likable in marriage, but it's because this person wants to keep their wealth for themselves. And so they deny them their rights. Mm-hmm. However, if someone gives up their right willingly, that is different. For a person, for example, a woman to say to her husband after they've been married and the dowry has been set, I forgive you for half of the dowry. That's fine. As is also the case in uh, the wives of the Prophet Sauda radiallahu anha gave up her night to Aisha radiallahu anhu says collecting Bukhari and Muslim so what is done willingly and without oppression and without force and without any type of intimidation is allowed but what the verse is speaking about is where oppression and intimidation is taken against those people if a woman fears cruelty, referring to unkindness perpetrated by her husband by not, sleep, by not sleeping with her and refusing to give her sufficient maintenance for her needs because he dislikes her, 
and has his eye on someone more beautiful or aversion on her husband's part, there is nothing wrong in the couple becoming reconciled. Read as yusliha and yasalaha in terms of agreeing to equitable division of time and maintenance. Although it is also possible for a woman to forgo something if she agrees to that in exchange for the continued companionship of her husband. Otherwise, the husband must give her her full due or divorce her. Reconciliation is better than separation or aversion. Allah then clarifies the natural tendencies of the human character. But people are prone to selfish greed, intense miserliness which is intrinsic to human beings. What is being referred to is a kind of quality that is an inseparable part of the human character. It means that it is very difficult for a woman to forgo her portion and very difficult for a man to give it up when he loves another. If you do good, meaning to women and are God-fearing, fearing to be unjust to them, Allah is aware of everything you do and will repay you for it. And this is Allah telling us again from the etiquettes of reconciliation between spouses, husbands and wives is that often it leads to them having to forego some of their rights. And reconciliation is when I give up some of my rights and the other person gives up some of their rights so that we can meet in the middle. And it is more or less impossible in things like marriage that everyone takes all of their rights 100% of the time. No marriage can work in that way. But it requires, even though those are my rights and it is my right, but I give them up sometimes. And likewise, the other person gives them up as well at other times. And that is why Allah Azza wa says, وَالصُّلْحُ خَيْرُ And that is reconciliation which is better. And that's why I mentioned that story or that incident of Sauda radiallahu anha. That she saw that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, because Sauda was one of the oldest of the wives of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa or she gave up her right of her night and gave it to Aisha radiallahu anha instead because she understood what the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa loved and what he preferred. And likewise, in the, in the final illness of the Prophet ﷺ, when all of the other wives of the Prophet ﷺ agreed that the Prophet ﷺ could remain in the house of Aisha anha for his last days. That's them giving up their rights because they understand that it, and when it's done in that way, it is extremely rewarding, as Allah mentions at the conclusion of this verse, verse 128. <laughs> You will not be able to be completely fair between your wives with respect to love, however hard you try to do so. But do not be completely partial to the one you love, to the one you love more regarding division of time and maintenance, so as to leave a wife, as it were, suspended in midair, like a widow rather than a married woman. And if you make amends by being just in the division and are God-fearing by avoiding injustice, Allah is ever forgiving about the bias which happened before, most merciful to you in that regard. Allah Azza wa verse 29. In the hadith of Prophet Sallallahu in the hadith of Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu, clipped in the sunnah of Abi Dawood, he said that whoever has two wives and he is unfair to one of them will come on the day of judgment and one side of his face will be drooping uh, more than the other as a punishment for that person for being unfair. The question that I have for you today, because you probably thought I forgot. The question that I have for you today is this verse, verse 129, says that you will not be able to be completely fair, even if you try. You cannot be fair, even if you try. 
But at the beginning of Surah An-Nisa, verse number three, Allah Azza wa Jalla said to us, "فَإِنْ خِفْتُمْ أَلَّا تَعْدِلُوا فَوَاحِدَةً." And if you fear that you cannot be fair, then just marry one wife. But now Allah Azza wa Jalla is saying that if you have more than one, even if you want to be fair, you can't. So how do we understand those two verses? The one Allah Azza wa Jalla is saying that it's not possible, and the other one Allah is saying that you don't get married to more than one. Does that make sense? وَإِنْ يَتَفَرَّقَا يُغْنِ اللَّهُ كُلًّا مِّنْ سَعَتِهِ If a couple do separate, meaning by divorce, Allah will enrich each of them so that he or she has no need of the other from his boundless wealth, providing her with another husband and him with another wife. وَكَانَ اللَّهُ وَاسِعًا حَكِيمًا Allah is all-encompassing with vast favor to his creation, all-wise in his management. And the reason why I ask these questions and I choose them is because they often contain very good principles for us to understand because one of the problems that we have when it comes to understanding some of these issues that we find in, within them texts of the Quran and the Sunnah is that we misunderstand them or don't understand them in the correct context and this is a very good example and it's not just to do with wives then it's to do with children how do I at the same time be fair to my children but then it seems that you know I may love one more than the other or may be partial to one more than the other how do I reconcile between that these are important principles that have to be understood and the Qur'an and the Sunnah give us the answers but it's just that we don't take them in context. Everything in the heavens and everything in the earth belongs to Allah. وَلَقَدْ وَصَّيْنَا الَّذِينَ أُوتُوا الْكِتَابَ مِنْ قَبْلِكُمْ وَإِيَّاكُمْ أَنِ اتَّقُوا اللَّهِ We have instructed those given the book Generic meaning revealed books before you, meaning the Jews and the Christians, and you yourselves, meaning the people of the Quran, to be fearful of Allah and fear His punishment by obeying Him. And we said to them, and you, But if you disbelieve and reject what you have been commanded to do, everything in the heavens and everything in the earth belongs to Allah as His creation, property, and slaves, and so your unbelief will not harm Him. وَكَانَ اللَّهُ غَنِيًّا حَمِيدًا Allah is rich beyond need of His creatures, worship, praiseworthy in what He does to them. وَلِلَّهِ مَا فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَمَا فِي الْأَرْضِ Everything in the heavens and everything in the earth belongs to Allah. This is repeated to stress the necessity for fear of Allah. وَكَفَى بِاللَّهِ وَكِيلًا Allah is enough as a guardian. He is a witness over all in the heaven and the earth. If he willed, or mankind, he could remove you altogether and produce others instead, meaning putting them in their place. Allah certainly has the power to do that. If anyone desires the reward of this world in return for his actions, the reward of this world and the, next world and the next world is with Allah For those who desire them and is not found to be with anyone else So no one should limit their seeking to the inferior Rather, they should raise their sights to the highest possibility with sincerity Since all good is with him alone uh, Verse 135 Verse 135 
يا ايها الذين امنوا كونوا قوامين بالقسط شهداء لله ولو على انفسكم او الوالدين والاقربين youth believe be upholders of justice bearing witness for Allah alone by acknowledging the truth and not concealing it even if against even against yourselves or your parents and relatives whether they, meaning those against whom you testify, are rich or poor, Allah is well able to look after them and knows better what is best for them. Do not follow your own desires and your testimony by trying to please the rich or out of mercy for the poor. And deviate from the truth. If you twist, Testimony or turn away, or it is telu and telu by not giving it. Allah is aware of everything you do, and Allah will repay you for it. You who believe, continue to believe in Allah and His Messenger, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and the book, meaning the Quran, He has sent down, read as Nazzala, He has sent down, and Nuzzila, which has been sent down to His Messenger, Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and the book, meaning generic, referring to all previous revealed books, He sent down, read as Anzala, He sent down, and Unzila, which was sent down on messengers before. وَمَنْ يَكْفُرْ بِاللَّهِ وَمَلَائِكَتِهِ وَكُتُبِهِ وَمُسُلِهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ فَقَدْ ضَلَّ ضَلَالًا بَعِيدًا Anyone who disbelieves in Allah, His angels, His books, His messengers, and the last day has gone far into misguidance from the truth. إِنَّ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا ثُمَّ كَفَرُوا ثُمَّ آمَنُوا ثُمَّ كَفَرُوا ثُمَّ ازْدَادُوا كُفْرًا لَمْ يَكُنِ اللَّهُ لِيَغْفِرَ لَهُمْ وَلَا لِيَهْدِيَهُمْ سَبِيلًا Those who believe in Musa, meaning the Jews, and then disbelieve by worshipping the calf, and then believe after that, and then disbelieve in Isa, and then increase in unbelief by then disbelieving in Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allah will not forgive them for what they did, or guide them on any path to the truth. This verse, verse number 137, the position mentioned here by Imam Suti rahimahullah ta'ala is a tafsir of Qatada rahimahullah and it's chosen also by Imam Al-Qabari rahimahullah and others. That they believed meaning in Musa salam, then they disbelieved meaning in Musa. Then they believed meaning in Isa salam, then they disbelieved meaning in Isa salam. Then they increased in their disbelief in the Prophet وسلم, but not believing in him. And other scholars like Mujahid rahimahullah said, no, it refers to the hypocrites. They believe and then they disbelieve, they believe and they disbelieve, they constantly go through that position of showing iman and then showing disbelief and then their final affair is that they increase in their disbelief because that is what they have in their hearts. That is the opinion of Mujahid rahimahullah. And there is no reason why both of those meanings cannot be correct. Give news, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, to the hypocrites that they will have a painful punishment, meaning the fire. Alladhina yattakhidhuna al-kafirina awliyaa min duni al-mu'mineen Those who take the people who disbelieve, meaning the hypocrites, as protectors rather than the believers, since they suppose that the unbelievers have power. Ayabtaghuna indahum al-izzah Hope to find power and strength with them. This is a question which negates their action. In other words, they will not find it with them. 
Power and strength belong entirely to Allah in this world and the next, and only His friends obtain it. وَقَدْ نَزَّلَ عَلَيْكُمْ فِي الْكِتَابِ أَنْ إِذَا سَمِعْتُمْ آيَاتِ اللَّهِ يُكْفَرُ بِهَا وَيُسْتَهْزَأُ بِهَا فَلَا تَقْعُدُوا مَعَهُمْ حَتَّى يَخُوضُوا فِي حَدِيثٍ غَيْرِهِ He has sent down, read as Nazzala, he has sent down, and Nuzzila, it has been sent down to you in the book, meaning in the Qur'an, in Surah Al-An'am, that when you hear Allah's signs, the Qur'an being disbelieved and mocked at by people, فَلَا تَقْعُدُوا مَعَهُمْ حَتَّى يَخُوضُوا فِي حَدِيثٍ غَيْرِهِ You must not sit with them, meaning the unbelievers and mockers, until they start to talk of other things. إِنَّكُمْ إِذًا مِثْلُهُمْ If you did sit with them, you would be just the same as them, and share in the sin they commit. إِنَّ اللَّهَ جَامِعُ الْمُنَافِقِينَ وَالْكَافِرِينَ فِي جَهَنَّمَ جَمِيعًا Allah will gather all the hypocrites and unbelievers into hell, as they were gathered together in unbelief and mockery in this world. الَّذِينَ يَتَرَبَّصُونَ بِكُمْ فَإِنْ كَانَ لَكُمْ فَتْحٌ مِّنَ اللَّهِ قَالُوا أَلَمْ نَكُمْ مَعَكُمْ Those who anticipate the worst fortune for you say, Were we not with you with regard to the deen and jihad whenever you gain a victory and beauty from Allah? They say this because they want some of the beauty. وَإِنْ كَانَ لِلْكَافِرِينَ نَصِيبٌ قَالُوا أَلَمْ نَسْتَحْوِذْ عَلَيْكُمْ وَنَمْنَعْكُمْ مِنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ but if the unbelievers have a success over you, they say to them, Did we not have the upper hand over you, and yet in spite of that keep the believers away from you? Meaning, we could have captured you and killed you, but we kept the believers from attacking and defeating you and seizing you. And we send information about them to you, so you owe us a favor. Allah Almighty says, Allah will judge between you and them on the day of rising, by admitting the believers to the garden and the unbelievers to the fire. وَلَنْ يَجْعَلَ اللَّهُ لِلْكَافِرِينَ عَلَى الْمُؤْمِنِينَ سَبِيلًا Allah will not give the unbelievers any way against the believers, meaning to wipe them out. إِنَّ الْمُنَافِقِينَ يُخَادِعُونَ اللَّهَ وَهُوَ خَادِعُهُمْ The hypocrites think that they deceive Allah by outwardly displaying the opposite of the, of the unbelief inside them in order to save themselves from worldly judgments against them. But he is deceiving them. He will repay them for their deceit, and they will be disgraced in this world, since Allah will acquaint His Prophet ﷺ with what is inside them, and they will also be punished in the next world. And we mentioned already this sifa, this attribute of Allah in Surah Al-Baqarah, and how Allah ascribes it to Himself Subhanahu Wa Taala as a result of how people think that they can deceive and cheat Allah, and Allah says that He is aware of their methods, and Allah makes that cheating of theirs turn back upon them subhanahu wa ta'ala and when they get up to pray with the believers they get up lazily showing off their prayer to people and only remembering Allah a little praying to show off مُذَبْذَبِينَ بَيْنَ ذَلِكَ They vacillate between the two, belief and unbelief. لَا إِلَهَا أُولَاءِ وَلَا إِلَهَا أُولَاءِ Not joining these, meaning the unbelievers, or joining those, meaning the believers. وَمَنْ يُضْلِلِ اللَّهُ فَلَنْ تَجِدَ لَهُ سَبِيلًا If Allah misguides someone, you will not find any way for him to be guided. Verse 143, They sway, they waver, they yo-yo between these two states, between Iman and between disbelief. 
in the Arabic language as Ibn Atiyah ta'ala has said it is to be unsure and to be in a constant state of being unsure based upon fear and embarrassment and as Abu Hayyan rahimahullah said in his tafsir al-tadabdub means or comes from the word qalaq to have that very unsettled feeling that anxiety within that is deep and entrenched within the heart and because of it therefore they're constantly in that state is it correct is it not and they're in that state of being unsure and no doubt that is a form of punishment for them that deep anxiety within themselves and that unsurety of what to do and how to proceed and therefore it is from the greatest blessings of Allah Azza wa Jalla upon a person when their heart is tranquil and content with Iman by evidence of this verse. Ya ayyuhal ladheena amanu la tattakhidhu al-kafirina awliyaa min duni al-mu'mineen You who believe do not take those who disbelieve as friends rather than the believers. Atuneeduna an taj'alu lillahi alaykum sultanan do you want to give Allah clear proof against you of your hypocrisy by taking them as friends? The hypocrites are in the lowest level of the fire, meaning its deepest death. You will not find any helper for them, meaning to protect them from the punishment. And this verse, verse 145, is an evidence. That just as Jannah paradise has darajat, has levels that rise up, how fire has levels as well, and they are called darakat. Darajat that ascend, darakat that descend. Except those who repent of hypocrisy and put things right by acting righteously and hold fast to Allah and trust in Him and dedicate their deen to Allah alone, free of showing off. They are with the believers in what they do. And Allah will give the believers an immense reward in the next world, meaning the garden. مَا يَفْعَلُ اللَّهُ بِعَذَابِكُمْ إِن شَكَرْتُمْ وَآمَنْتُمْ Why should Allah punish you if you are thankful for His blessings to you and believe in Him? The question implies a negative response. وَكَانَ اللَّهُ شَاكِرًا عَلِيمًا Allah is all thankful for the actions of the believers, meaning by rewarding them, all knowing of His creation. Meaning Allah in verse 147 that Allah does not want to punish people. And Allah, it is not something that He, that he wants to do. And if people believe in Him and they thank Him and they turn to Him in worship, why would Allah punish them? لا يحب الله الجهر بالسوء من القول إلا من ظلم. Allah does not like evil words to be voiced out loud by anyone and will punish them for it, except in the case of someone who has been wronged, who is not to be blamed for speaking out loud in strong terms about the injustice he has suffered and calling for redress against the perpetrator. وكان الله سميعا عليما. Allah is all hearing of what is said, all knowing of His creation. Verse 148, the beginning of the sixth juz. Allah is saying that He doesn't like people speaking things which are evil or backbiting or speaking about things which shouldn't be spoken about because they are things which are not nice to be aired except for those who do so for a right. And this doesn't therefore negate people having taking, uh, their rights being taken away. So when someone comes and complains of someone that's oppressed them or done harm to them no longer is that called backbiting or slander or uh, spreading rumors if it is done with the right to retain a right or to stop the harm of someone else 
إن تبدوا خيرا أو تخفوه أو تعفو عن سوء فإن الله كان عفوا قديرا If you reveal a good act which you have done or keep it hidden or pardon an evil act of injustice Allah is ever pardoning all powerful And that is the general principle in 149 It is better to forgive and to pardon and to give up your rights in the hope that Allah Azza wa Jal will forgive and pardon you and shower his mercy upon you but that isn't it is always the case. It's not general. It is not a universal principle. But sometimes you have to take your right. And sometimes you have to stop the harm of others. Because by not doing so, they will continue to harm other people as well. And so the Sharia has this balance between measuring the evil and the good, measuring the benefits and the harms. And so if it's between you and a person and they made a genuine mistake, or it's not likely that this is their character, then to forgive them is always better. But if that's a person who by forgiving them, you embolden them, you encourage them to do the evil to others and harm others, then it's not from the principles of the Sharia that you forgive and that you pardon. Rather, it is from the principles of the Sharia that you hold them to account to stop their evil from those people who, who they will harm besides you. And Allah rewards you for your intention. إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يَكْفُرُونَ بِاللَّهِ وَرُسُلِهِ وَيُرِيدُونَ أَنْ يُفَرِّقُوا بَيْنَ اللَّهِ وَرُسُلِهِ Those who disbelieve in Allah and His messengers and desire to make division between Allah and His messengers by believing in some and disbelieving in others وَيَقُولُونَ نُؤْمِنُ بِبَعْضٍ وَنَكْفُرُ بِبَعْضٍ Saying, we believe in some messengers and disbelieve in some of them وَيُرِيدُونَ أَنْ يَتَّخِذُوا بَيْنَ ذَانِكَ سَبِيلًا Wanting to take a pathway they can follow in between, meaning between belief and unbelief. Such people are the true unbelievers. This confirms what comes before it. We have prepared a humiliating punishment, meaning the fire for the unbelievers. والذين آمنوا بالله ورسله ولم يفرقوا بين أحد منهم أولئك سوف يؤتيهم أجورهم. Those who believe in Allah and all His messengers and do not differentiate between any of them, we will pay them. Readers نؤتيهم. We will pay them and يؤتيهم. He will pay them their wages as a reward for their actions. وكان الله غفورا رحيما. Allah is ever forgiving of His friends, most merciful to the people who obey Him. يسألك أهل الكتاب أن تنزل عليهم كتابا من السماء. The people of the book, meaning the Jews, will ask you, O Muhammad, صلى الله عليه وسلم, of obduracy, to bring down a book from the heaven to them, all at once, as it was sent down to Musa. If you think that is terrible, فقد سألوا موسى أكبر من ذلك. They, i.e., their ancestors, asked Musa for even more than that. فَقَالُوا أَرِنَ اللَّهَ جَهْرَهُ They said, let us see Allah with our own eyes. فَأَخَذَتْهُمُ الصَّاعِقَةُ بِظُلْمِهِمْ So the lightning bolt struck them down and killed them as a punishment for their wrongdoing because they were exigent in their asking. ثُمَّ اتَّخَذُوا الْعِجَلَ مِنْ بَعْدِ مَا جَاءَتْهُمُ الْبَيِّنَاتُ فَعَثَوْنَا عَنْ ذَلِكَ then they adopted the calf as a god after the clear signs, meaning the miracles which proved Allah's oneness had come to them. But we pardoned them for that and did not eradicate them. And gave Musa clear authority over them, as is shown by the fact that he commanded them to kill themselves and they obeyed him. This verse 153, we discussed this all in more detail in Surah Al-Baqarah. 
in that passage that Allah Azza wa spoke about this in more detail. Yeah. We lifted up the mount above their heads in accordance with the covenant they had made to force them to take on the covenant which they had accepted out of fear. And we said to them, Enter the gate of the city, prostrating, bowing. And we said to them, Do not break. Read as and the Sabbath. Do not break the Sabbath, mean by fishing. And we made a binding covenant with them, but they broke it. Verse 155. This is clearly, clearly something Eli did here, so that the meaning is something like Allah cursed them because. So Allah, what he's saying here, Imam Ta'ala, is that there is a mahdhuf, a, a word that is not apparently mentioned, but it is implicitly understood because Allah begins because of the fact. Meaning that Allah then cursed him because of what he will now mention. Because of the fact that they broke the covenant and rejected Allah's signs and killed the prophets without any right and said to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam وَقَوْلِهِمْ قُلُوبُنَا غُلْفٍ And said, our hearts are uncircumcised and do not understand what you say. بَلْ طَبَعَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهَا بِكُفْرِهِمْ Allah has stumped them and sealed them with unbelief. And so, they do not pay any attention to warnings. فَلَا يُؤْمِنُونَ إِلَّا قَلِيلًا So they do not believe except for a few of them. Like Abdullah ibn Salam and his companions. And as we said before, for verse 155, قَوْلُهِمْ قُلُوبُنَا غُلْفٍ our hearts are uncircumcised. I think a better translation is that they are covered, they are wrapped, they are sealed. Yeah. And for their second unbelief in Isa and the utterance of a monstrous slander against Maryam, accusing her of fornication. And they boastfully saying, we killed the Messiah, Isa, son of Maryam, messenger of Allah, as they claim. They are punished for affirming that, although Allah then denies that they killed him. They did not kill him, and they did not crucify him, but it was made to seem so to them. The person killed and crucified was a companion of Isa, who was made to look like him, so that they thought it was him. Those who argue about him, meaning Isa, are in doubt about it, meaning about killing him. As one of them said, when he saw the body of the person who had been killed, it is the face of Isa, but not his body. It is not him. Others said, it is him. They have no real knowledge of it, meaning his killing, just conjecture. They follow the supposition which they imagine to be the case. But they certainly did not kill him. This stresses its negation. Allah raised him up to himself. Allah is almighty in his kingdom, all wise in what he does. And that is why it is the position, the madhab of Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah, that Allah raised Isa to the heavens. 
and that Allah will cause him to, to descend towards the end of time as one of the major signs of Yawmul Qiyamah. There is not one of the people of the book who will not believe in him before he, meaning the person of the book, or possibly Isa, dies at the time they see the angels of death. And then their belief will not help them. Or possibly before the death of Isa, after he descends shortly before the final hour, as reported in the hadith. As reported in the hadith. And on the day of rising, he, meaning Isa, will be a witness against them about what they did when he was sent to them. This verse 159. He says, in his commentary, before he dies, either the person of the book or possibly Isa. And this is the two positions amongst, and there are other positions, but these are the two main positions amongst the scholars of tafsir. The first is that they will not die, they will, uh, the, there is not one of the people of the book who will not believe in him before he dies, meaning before Isa salam, dies, meaning when he comes towards the end of time and he descends, then the people of the book of that time, when they see him and they recognize him and acknowledge him as being the Prophet of Allah, Isa salam, they will believe in him, meaning that they will believe in Islam and they will follow the Prophet wasallam. And this was the opinion of Ibn Abbas and Hassan al-Basri and many others, and it's chosen the opinion that was chosen by Imam al-Tabari and Ibn Kathir amongst others. The second opinion, which is the opinion of Mujahid and other scholars, is that they won't believe in him before he, meaning the person themselves, dies. Meaning not at the end of time, but every person from the people of the book, at the time of their own death, they recognize that Isa was not the son of God, but that they were mistaken or they were wrong in this, in their belief. And that he was a messenger of Allah, that they should have accepted Islam. And they say that's because when a person dies and their soul is leaving their body, they know then the reality at that time of what is true and false. And that is why it is the time, as we know, in which repentance is not accepted and a person cannot take faith after having disbelieved. So when they see death before them, that is when they recognize this. And Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. Those are the two positions amongst the scholars of tafsir. فَبِظُلْمٍ مِّنَ الَّذِينَ هَادُوا حَرَّمْنَا عَلَيْهِمْ طَيِّبَاتٍ أُحِلَّتْ لَهُمْ Because of wrongdoing on the part of the Jews, we made unlawful for them some things which had previously been lawful for them. It is clarified in Allah's words, we made unlawful for the Jews every animal with an undivided hoof. وَبِصَدِّهِمْ عَنْ سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ كَثِيرًا And because of their obstructing many people from the way of Allah, meaning from the true deen. وَأَخْذِهِمُ الرِّبَا وَقَدْنُهُ عَنْ and because of their practicing usury, when they were forbidden to do it in the Torah. And because of their consuming people's wealth by wrongful means, employing bribery to, ob- to obtain favorable judgment. We have prepared a painful punishment for those among them who disbelieve. لَكِنِ الرَّاسِخُونَ فِي الْعِلْمِ مِنْهُمْ وَالْمُؤْمِنُونَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِمَا أُنْزِلَ إِلَيْكَ وَمَا أُنْزِلَ مِنْ قَبْلِكَ But those of them who are firmly rooted in knowledge, such as Abdullah ibn Salam, and the believers, such as the Muhajirun and Ansar, believe in what has been sent down to you and what was sent down before you, meaning by way of divine books. وَالْمُقِيمِينَ الصَّلَاةِ Those who perform the prayer. وَالْمُؤْتُونَ الزَّكَاةَ وَالْمُؤْمِنُونَ بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ and pay zakat and believe in Allah and the last day. We will pay such people a huge wage, meaning the garden. 
Or it is Nuktihim, we will pay them, and Yuktihim, he will pay them. إِنَّا أَوْحَيْنَا إِلَيْكَ كَمَا أَوْحَيْنَا إِلَىٰ نُوحٍ وَالنَّبِيِّينَ مِنْ بَعْدِهِ We have revealed to you, as we revealed to Nuh and the prophets who came after him. وَأَوْحَيْنَا إِلَىٰ إِبْرَاهِيمَ وَإِسْمَاعِيلَ وَإِسْحَاقَ وَيَعْقُوبَ وَالْأَسْبَاقِ وَعِيسَىٰ وَأَيُّوبَ وَيُونُسَ وَهَارُونَ وَسُلَيْمَانَ And we revealed to Ibrahim and his sons, Ismail and Ishaq and Ya'qub and the tribes, and Isa and Ayyub and Yunus and Harun and Sulaiman. وَآتَيْنَا دَاوُودَ زَبُورًا And we gave Dawood the Zabur. The Zabur was the book given to Dawood. It is also read as a verbal noun, Zubur, which means written. وَرُسُلًا قَدْ قَصَصْنَاهُمْ عَلَيْكَ مِنْ قَبْنُ وَرُسُلًا لَمْ نَقْصُصْهُمْ عَلَيْكَ We have sent messengers we have already told you about and messengers we have not told you about. It is related that Allah sent 8,000 prophets, 4,000 from the tribe of Israel and 4,000 from other peoples. This will be further mentioned in the commentary on Surah Ghafir. وَكَلَّمَ اللَّهُ مُوسَىٰ تَكْلِيمًا And Allah spoke directly to Musa without any intermediary. Verse 164, Allah says that there are prophets that we have mentioned to you and ones that we have not. The ones that Allah has mentioned are those whose names we find in the Qur'an. And those mentioned by the Prophet And then there were many other prophets that are not mentioned by name. We don't know them and we don't know their story. But Allah tells us generally that He sent to every nation a prophet calling them to the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The narration that Imam Suyuti brings here that there were 8,000 prophets, 4,000 to Bani Israel and 4,000 to other than Bani Israel is collected in the Muslim of Abu Ya'la and it is an extremely weak narration. It is a very weak narration. And there are other narrations, for example, the one that, um, that is uh, found elsewhere, the narration of Abu Umama and Abu Dhar radiallahu anhuma that the Prophet is reported to have said that there were 124,000 prophets, 300 odd of them, 315 or 312 were messengers. That is also a weak narration. And all of those narrations that speak about specifying the number of the prophets and messengers are weak. And therefore, in terms of their chain of narration, and therefore, the position of the scholars is that Allah knows best how many they were. رُسُلًا مُبَشِّرِينَ وَمُنْذِرِينَ لِأَلَّا يَكُونَ لِلنَّاسِ عَلَى اللَّهِ حُجَّةٌ بَعْدَ الرُّسُلِ Messengers bringing good news of the reward for belief and giving warning of the punishment for those who disbelieve. We sent them so that people would have no argument against Allah after the coming of the messengers. So that they would not be able to say, Our Lord, if only you had sent us a messenger, we would have been believers. We sent them so that they would have no excuse. وَكَانَ اللَّهُ عَزِيزًا حَكِيمًا Allah is Almighty in His kingdom, all wise in what He does. Verse 166. This was revealed when the Jews asked about the prophethood of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and then denied it. But Allah bears witness and makes His prophethood clear to what He has sent down to you of the inimitable Qur'an. He has sent it down with his knowledge. He knows it or what is in it. The angels bear witness as well. And Allah is enough as a witness to that. Those who disbelieve in Allah and bar access to people to the way of Allah, meaning the deen of Islam, by concealing the description of Muhammad, وسلم, meaning the Jews, 
have gone far into misguidance from the truth. إِنَّ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا وَظَلَمُوا لَمْ يَكُنِ اللَّهُ لِيَغْفِرَ لَهُمْ وَلَا لِيَهْدِيَهُمْ طَرِيقًا Allah will not forgive those who disbelieve in Allah and, and do wrong to His Prophet وسلم, by concealing His description or guide them on any path. Except the path of how? The path which leads to it. Remaining in it, timelessly once they enter it, forever, without end. That is easy for Allah. يَا أَيُّهَا النَّاسُ قَدْ جَاءَكُمُ الرَّسُولُ بِالْحَقِّ مِنْ رَبِّكُمْ فَآمِنُوا خَيْرًا لَكُمْ All mankind, meaning people of Mecca, the Messenger, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, has brought you the truth from your Lord. So it is better for you than what you do now to believe in it. وَإِن تَكْفُرُوا فَإِنَّ لِلَّهِ مَا فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ But if you disbelieve in it, everything in the heavens and the earth belongs to Allah. All are his property, his creation and his creatures. And so your unbelief will not harm him. Allah is all-knowing about his creation, all-wise in what he does to them. O people of the book, here meaning Christians, do not go to excess concerning your deen and exceed the limits. Say nothing but the truth about Allah, placing Allah far beyond having a partner or child. The Messiah, Isa, was only the messenger of Allah and his word, which he cast into Maryam, and a spirit, someone possessing a spirit from him. The spirit is ascribed to Allah to Anna Isa. The fact that he is called spirit does not, as they claim, make him the son of God, or a God altogether with him, or, the, or one of a divine trinity. Allah is free of any such combination or ascription of that to him. فَآمِنُوا بِاللَّهِ وَرُسُولِهِ So believe in Allah and his messengers. وَلَا تَقُولُوا ثَلَاثَةِ Do not say three gods. Allah, Isa and his mother. إِنْتَهُوا خَيْرًا لَكُمْ It is better that you stop, meaning saying these things. Affirming the divine unity is better. Subhana إِنَّمَا اللَّهُ إِلَهٌ وَاحِدٌ Allah is only one God. Subhanahu an yakuna lahu walad. He is too, too glorious to have a son. Lahu ma fi samawati wa ma fi al-ard. Everything in the heavens and everything in the earth belongs to him. All are his creation, kingdom and slaves. Wa kafa billahi wakila. Allah is enough as a guardian and witness to that. This verse, verse 171 of Surah Al-Nisa speaks about the status of Isa as it should be understood. And the Prophet وسلم, in the hadith in Al-Bukhari of Umar said, do not go to extremes regarding me as they did regarding Isa for indeed I am the servant of Allah and I am his messenger. And in the hadith of Ubad ibn Samit also in Sahih Al-Bukhari uh, showing that this is our belief and to believe in the Prophet Isa in the way that Allah has mentioned in this verse is in itself rewarding. The Prophet said, وسلم, whoever bears witness to La ilaha illallah, none has the right to be worshipped except Allah. To Muhammad Rasulullah, Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. To the Isa is the messenger of Allah and the speech or the word that he cast into Maryam and a spirit from him and that Jannah, paradise is true and the fire is true, Allah will enter him into Jannah irrespective of the deeds and the actions that they have performed. 
And that shows the power of Iman and belief and the power of Tawheed. لن يستنكف المسيح أن يكون عبدا لله ولا الملائكة المقربون The Messiah whom you claim as a God would never disdain meaning be too arrogant or proud to be a slave to Allah nor would the angels near to him be too arrogant to be slaves This is part of a slight digression in which Allah refutes those who claim that Isa was a God and that the angels are daughters of Allah This, address, this was addressed to the Christians who made that claim وَمَنْ يَسْتَنْكِفْ عَنْ عِبَادَتِهِ وَيَسْتَكْبِرْ فَسَيَحْشُوهُمْ إِلَيْهِ جَمِيعًا If any do disdain to worship him and go arrogant, he will in any case gather them all to him, meaning in the next world. Verse 172, when he says, As-Siyuti rahimahullah in the commentary, he says, this is part of a slight digression. What he says is, هَذَا مِنْ أَحْسَنِ الْإِسْتِطْرَادِ It is from the best of digression. Because Allah Azza wa Jal is speaking about in the previous verse about our belief and the belief that we should have regarding Allah Azza wa Jal and regarding Isa alayhi salam. And then in the following verse 173 onwards Allah will speak about the reward and the punishment of those people who either believe or disbelieve in that. But in the middle Allah Azza wa Jal is saying what? That Isa alayhi salam doesn't have the arrogance to claim divinity besides Allah. As Allah Azza wa Jal will mention towards the end of Surah Al-Ma'idah. When Allah will question him on the day of judgment and he will say glory be to you. It wasn't befitting for me to say to people to worship me besides you. Isa doesn't have that audacity, doesn't have that arrogance, doesn't have that disbelief to claim such a thing. Nor do the angels of the Arabs used to worship besides Allah, nor do any of those other people from the prophets and messengers of Allah Azza wa Jal. And so that is what he means. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions this as a side point because it's not part of the, the verses that are being spoken about. But it is extremely important because it gives us that principle that Allah Azza wa Jal mentions. So what he's saying is that it is from the best of ways that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions these principles. As for those who believe and do right actions, he will pay them their wages in full, meaning the reward for their actions, and will give them increase from his favor, which is, as the hadith says, what the eye has not seen, what the ear heard, and has not occurred to the heart of man. And that is the hadith of Anas radiallahu an in the Musannaf of Ibn Abi Shayba and Al-Bazzar. That the Prophet said, مَا لَا عِينٌ رَأَتْ وَلَا أُذُنٌ سَمِعَتْ وَلَا خَطَرَ عَلَى قَلْبِ بَشَرٌ In Jannah is one no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has imagined. وَأَمَّا الَّذِينَ اسْتَنْكَفُوا وَاسْتَكْبَرُوا فَيُعَذِّبُهُمْ عَذَابًا أَلِيمًا وَلَا يَجِدُونَ لَهُمْ as for those who show disdain and grow too arrogant to worship him, he will punish them with a painful punishment, meaning the fire. They will not find any protector to defend them or any helper for themselves besides Allah. Ya ayyuhan nasu qad rabbikum. O mankind, a clear proof has come to you from your Lord that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam is a prophet of Allah. وَأَنزَلْنَا إِلَيْكُمْ نُورًا مُّبِينًا We have sent down a clear light to you, meaning the Qur'an. فَأَمَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا بِاللَّهِ وَاعْتَصَمُوا بِهِ فَسَيُدْخِلُهُمْ فِي رَحْمَةٍ مِّنْهُ وَفَضْلٍ وَيَهْدِيهِمْ إِلَيْهِ صِرَاطًا مُسْتَقِيمًا As for those who believe in Allah and hold fast to Him, He will admit them into mercy and favor from Him, and will guide them to Him on a straight path, meaning the deen of Islam. يَسْتَفْتُونَكْ they will ask you for a definitive ruling, meaning about someone who dies without a direct heir, which means 
with neither children nor parents. Say, Allah gives you a definitive ruling about people who die without direct heirs. If a man dies childless but has a sister, meaning both a full sister by both parents, and also just by the father, she gets half of what he, meaning her brother, leaves. And he is her heir if she dies childless. Her brother inherits all she leaves. If she has a male child, he gets nothing. If she has a daughter, he gets what is left after her share. If there is a brother or sister by the mother, the share is a sixth, as mentioned at the beginning of the surah. فَإِن كَانَ فَلَهُمَا الثُّلُثَانِ مِمَّا تَرَكْ If there are two sisters or more, they get two-thirds of what he, meaning the brother, leaves. This was revealed about Jabir, who died leaving sisters. وَإِن كَانُوا إِخْوَةً رِجَالًا وَنِسَاءً فَلِلذَّكَرِ مِثْلُ حَظِّ الْأُنْثَيَيْنِ If there are brothers and sisters as heirs, the males get the share of two females. يُبَيِّنُ اللَّهُ لَكُمْ أَن تَضِلُّوا Allah makes things clear to you and clarifies the laws of his deen so you may not go astray. وَاللَّهُ بِكُلِّ شَيْءٍ عَلِيمٍ Allah has knowledge of everything. Part of that is inheritance. The two Sahih collections report from Al-Bara that this was the last ayah to be revealed concerning the shares of inheritance. This verse, the final verse of Surah An-Nisa 176 is also from the defining verses of inheritance and it is the inheritance of Kalala. And Kalala means a person who dies and has no children nor any ascending heirs, no parents or grandparents. And they only have siblings and this is the verse that reveals their shares of inheritance. And as Imam Sutra is saying here, his view is that this was revealed about Jabir radiallahu anhu. We already mentioned his story in Sahih Muslim that the Prophet came to Bani Salima, his tribe, with Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, and he was extremely ill. So he asked the Prophet concerning this, and Allah revealed this verse. And then Imam Ibn Kathir rahimahullah says that actually this verse was revealed not concerning him, but concerning the daughters of Sa'ad ibn al-Rabi' radiallahu anhu, story we also mentioned yesterday. One of the companions who died at Uhud. And he left behind his wife and two young daughters. And his brothers and his family were taking the inheritance. So she came complaining of her poverty and her daughters. And that the, the brothers of Sa'ad had taken all of his wealth. And Allah Azzawajal therefore revealed this verse. And Allah Azzawajal knows best. And as he says, Rahimahullah, it is collected in Bukhari and Muslim. On the, on that Al-Bara ibn Azib, radiallahu anhu, the famous companion, considered this verse, verse 176, the final verse of Surah An-Nisa, to be the final verse revealed in the Qur'an, which shows you that there is a difference of opinion amongst the companions and scholars as to what it was the final verse of the Qur'an to be revealed, but we already mentioned the one that is the stronger opinion Allah knows best in Surah Baqarah, which is the verse, وَاتَّقُوا يَوْمًا تُرْجَعُونَ فِيهِ إِلَى اللَّهِ Fear the day that you will return to Allah. And with that we come to the conclusion of Surah An-Nisa and to today's session. بارك الله فيكم وصلى الله على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين وآخر دعوانا أن الحمد لله رب العالمين. This recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemasjid.org.